Hello and welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. My name is Sunny. I use they, she pronouns. Um, I am one of your co-hosts of this podcast. And currently, I am feeling like a, um, like a peanut. What are you feeling like, Renaissance? (laughs) (laughs) What? We haven't done that introduction, that style of introduction before. Yeah, we had to do Um, one of those icebreakers that are like, how are, what are you feeling? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your name, your pronouns, your major, what are (laughs) 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 Anyways, hello, my name is Renaissance Marie. I'm one of the other pod not one of the other podcasts. I'm one of the other hosts of this podcast. I also use they, she pronouns. And I am feeling like a a, a, a red grape. A, a red regular grape. red, yes. pur- purple grape, um, you know, you find in your local grocery store. Yes. Just a little I do recognize know, hand it. snack. I do. Yeah. So yeah, uh, today we are bringing to you our second season finale everybody cheered everybody screamed exactly so for this episode we're gonna be focusing on some like nostalgia things and talk about the things that the media that kind of shaped our identities as like lesbians who consume media as people as critical thinkers and analyzers of the media you know enjoyers who are smart you know most of y'all some of y'all cannot relate Let's be real, you know? People, we're going to be talking about the things that planted the seeds of why we like the things that we like now. Yeah, the roots of our insanity. Yeah. 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 So that's what we'll be talking about today. But before we get into that, we're going to be responding to your emails, your hot takes. And thank you so much for sending in um, your emails and stuff. We love to see you guys interact with us. I love seeing people who, like, I have no mutuals with, like, follow me. And I'm like... That's a podcast listener. Same. I know. Oh, amazing. Same. Yeah. So, yeah. So and if you guys have... Uh, oh, I was just going to no, say. Continue. If you guys have your Instagram accounts on public, I definitely stalk you a little <laughs> bit every time you follow it's me. It's like Taylor my own being like... Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pull my own Taylor account. Swift. Yeah. And I just... I'm just like, oh, Y'all yeah. are so cute. Yeah. So, yeah. No, like, it's fun because... Like, I get where she's coming from now because I do want to know what the people who like what I make are like. Because it's like, who are the people who choose to, like, spend time with me or with the stuff that I make, you know? So... And there's definitely a print. Like, like there's, like, all of our (laughs) listeners fall into, like, two to three aesthetic categories. And they're all the same. Like, like, (laughs) I almost want to be like, hey, you remind me of this. Like, you guys already have something in common. You follow me. Yeah. And I yeah. think you guys would make great friends. No, so we need exactly. a, we need this to build so that we can be like we can have our own fandom, and then fans of ours can communicate with each other. Can have their own fandom community. Yeah. No, it's like a like. I want to be scrolling on the for you page yeah. and come across clips of our own podcast. <laughs> no, that's so and, meta though, because like as like fangirls, <laughs> like there's like a. F- <laughs> I mean, also, okay, that's interesting because a lot of the seminal, like, media that I consumed at, like, when I was younger and now is about being, like, a fangirl or, like, stuff like that. And so I would be a fan of stuff that's about being a fan. So I think, like, those Mm -hmm. meta narratives are already at play within our own, like, consciousness is. 
We are three levels deep of fan <laughs> degrees and levels and behavior. So us having like a creative project mm-hmm. and like people listening to us, like this is adding on to our only like our already niche ass multi-layered relationship mm-hmm. with fandom. Exactly. So, like y'all don't even know. Y'all did not yeah. even know. It's giving know. us a complex. So. It's giving <laughs> Oh, uh-huh. But yeah, anyways, yeah, we do really appreciate you. So let me get in, let me respond to two of our emails. We will be releasing a bonus mm-hmm. episode for this season as we always will do. We have like 10 episodes per season, if you didn't already know, and then we have like a bonus episode with like extra content that doesn't necessarily fit into the format of our existing uh, podcast episode situation. And our existing podcast episode like format is at the beginning, we talk about a hot take that you guys send us or that we see on the internet. Then we talk about media that we've consumed together and then we recommend to each other media. So yeah, anyway, let's get into the email. So the first email I wanna look at is from Sonomi. I'm pretty sure, yes. Uh, And this person said, Hi, I hope you both are doing as okay as one can be. I just wanted to recommend Squid Game. It's really popular right now, so you've probably already seen it. But if not, it's kind of reminiscent of The Hunger Games. I don't want to spoil anything in case you haven't seen it. So I'll leave it at that. I was wondering your thoughts on the anti-capitalist themes. Looking forward to your next episode. Uh, No rush, lol. I don't want this to come off as pressure to post as soon as possible. I know (laughs) y'all are dealing with a lot. Thank you so much. We got this email on like the 24th, which was... The two weeks from uh, from the day that we're recording this at this point uh and like at that point we have been in like a month-long drought so if you were with us for that drought of content thank you for sticking through because we were both suffering immensely (laughs) is that gonna be the marker of like if you weren't here when this happened then you're not a real fan of the (laughs) last In the same way that I shit on the crown stands uh-huh. that weren't here for the first uh, cast shift, where there's mm-hmm. that first two-year drought, mm-hmm. I'm like, if you haven't experienced that, not allowed. Not Don't allowed. talk. Don't even talk so, to me. Yeah. our fans will be allowed to say that. It's like, y'all remember that fucking month and a half long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. We're back, we're back. Yeah. Um, Squid Game. W- would you like to start with this or uh, um we have both like on our twitter accounts which you should follow i'm at a sunny book nook and what's your handle right now it's still at renaissance the first e is an x i haven't gotten the balls to change it yet so so with squid game we have both tweeted well i've tweeted and you've retweeted my tweets about how i'm not fucking watching that shit (laughs) yeah Yeah, anyway why are you not wanting to watch it i'm not wanting to watch it because there is Something that happens when something becomes so popular that it seems like it's something everyone is watching. Yeah. That I just can't bring myself to do it. Yeah. However, last yeah. night I was watching like Squid Game, like Death Count and like Squid Game Ending Explained, just so that I can fucking understand what's like what going the fuck on. It's kind about? of like. Yeah, it's kind of just like reading the headlines of news yeah, so that yeah. if you stumble into a conversation, you don't sound like a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's basically the equivalent of what it, I don't care about spoilers. I do not yeah. care about people talking about the show around me. So mm-hmm. I did do that. Mm-hmm. I have zero inclination to yeah. watch the actual show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or participate yeah. in the culture that is being birthed In the discourse the that show. is constantly yeah. on my fucking timeline. Constantly. Oh, like, I cannot escape. I cannot escape. No, it's inescapable. I, I can't tell if this is worse 
or less than of when fucking Tiger King came out, and uh-huh. I could not escape. Yeah, Tiger King. Yeah, except this is spawning like discourse and uh-huh. like commentary about society by people uh-huh. who should not be opening their mouth about commentary <laughs> about society. Like Your Tiger King was like, wrong. yeah, like Tiger King was more like, wow, it's like silly. white people left in rural places unsupervised go fucking haywire which is like funny and cool um Mm -hmm. this is like a a a common gripe that i have with people is people who try to comment about like Mm anti-capitalist themes but Mm -hmm. without having read shit Mm -hmm. about Mm anti-capitalism and so they're still like anti-communist but somehow Mm -hmm. fuck with this or or don't Mm -hmm. or yeah especially because i think one of the characters is from north korea as well Mm -hmm. and so i feel like everyone is on the slight verge of like north korea discourse that i just have no interest in seeing that be in the general american public no no, yeah yeah i don't i I have no interest in that so that's where i stand with squid games i personally will not be watching it what about you sunny i definitely will not be watching it either honestly because like even though a lot of the themes and a lot of the sort of things that i've heard about it seem like interesting they seem you know they seem engaging enough and they seem like something that i might be into if it wasn't so fucking popular it's just like i feel like so many of the themes that are explored in squid games have already been thoroughly explored in so many other forms of media that that i've already consumed and like as this listener said like it's kind of reminiscent of the hunger games and i think at least from what i've read of this like it also reminds me of like a bunch of other things that I've like seen or read you know and so it's just like conceptually not new to me and like I like reading about stuff that well sorry not reading I like stuff that's like you know new it brings it brings something new to the table and also what I meant by when I said reading it's because I really prefer reading science fiction because like for example science fiction movies that I well it's not necessarily science fiction or like dystopian i guess speculative fiction mm-hmm. like i yeah, i don't yeah. really like sort of that type of media that is a, a critical of society and then b sort of like elevating something to a next level you know that type of media i don't really like to consume it in on a visual level a lot of the time because i think a lot of the time it's not done as well as i think something that something literary could because for example like some of the like speculative sci-fi dystopian movies that i've watched from like the best to the worst snowpiercer directed by bong joon ho at the top like that was one of the best movies i've ever seen and it's like very action packed and i think says some really important things and like they're very compelling um but then like for example Ex Machina, I thought it was, like, fine, but I don't think it was, like, that compelling. And then, like, Blade Runner, like, I'm just thinking about, you know, things that are, that are just, like, popular. Stuff that's supposed to be commentary on technology, society, misogyny, shit like that. Like, revolution, class consciousness, class conflict. It's, like, none of these things are as good as even, like, the three-star novellas that I read. Like, novellas, like, short, 100-page books that are that i feel like talk about this this stuff in a way more complex manner while also provide like i also think that like on a visual level a lot of dystopian and sci-fi type of shit is like so lip like 
so limited in its aesthetic it's it either leans into like techno orientalism or it leans into like the hunger games blueprint right like that's really it and like i'm just not interested in seeing regurgitated versions of that again and again because i know what that looks like and like despite any of the claims that people can make about how squid games is like different or whatever the thing is is that again i also have an aversion to like media that becomes so incredibly popular and in its mainstream like for example like i never watched like stranger things when it came out never saw like tiger king never saw never saw like i never saw tiger king either yeah like and i, I didn't i i didn't watch stranger things until it was so far it had already right. gone through its peak i'm talking about for season one like mm-hmm. it had already gone through it all everyone had watched it yeah and then like literally nine months later i was like have you guys heard of stranger (laughs) (laughs) no exactly like i either like to jump on things really late which like when we talk about our nostalgia media like this will kind of be a theme i think um and i Mm -hmm. also like to i also uh, when stuff is like really mainstream i like to consume it in a way that's like really I don't know like I want to I want it to be to bring something new to the table I don't want it to be something that's like I don't think like for example I don't think like when you're talking about um our dear listeners thank you so much for the email again um when you're talking about like talking about its anti-capitalist themes it's like I really don't think I could say anything about this show and it's the themes that it's portraying that like is more profound than things more profound than shit that people have already said because so many people have watched it. Like, so many people have watched it. So there's the commentary, it's like, it's not as meaningful to me. It's not as interesting for me to make and to do because, girl, like, you could, there's so many, I'm I'm sure. When something becomes so popular, it's like all of the commentary that could possibly be done about this specific piece of media has already been said and therefore I feel like there's no initiative for me as like an additional viewer to watch something especially as someone who enjoys watching things like with a critical eye and Mm. especially something that's supposed to like comment on society it's like okay well I want to watch this with having thought of something Mm -hmm. but if I know that there are people who have very similar politics to me and people who are already vocal online saying the things that I would most likely agree with about this show I feel like there's no there's no need for me to watch it mm-hmm. I can simply retweet and watch <laughs> the video essays about it from yeah. people that I already agree with yeah. without having to engage with it myself which is why I stay in my little fandom mm-hmm. bubbles and there might be pieces of media that are popular within the circles that I already exist in but we all like fill our little place in it um and then like maybe in the in the large scheme of things like it it's not as popular as like squid games in terms of like international popularity but it's considered popular within the group that i already occupy you know right um right so that's those are my final thoughts on squid games or squid game singular plural i don't know yeah i think it's singular but do you want to read our next our other email Yes, our next email is from Mackenzie, she, her, or Kenzie, and this one was a very fun email to read, so (laughs) she says, hi, (laughs) lesbian Gemini art history major slash whore slash lavender pod Patreon slash avid media consumer here, all of my favorite and Sunny's favorite things and identifiers. Right, right, right. Um, I came across one of Sunny's... (laughs) 
I came across one of Sunny's TikTok videos promoting the podcast around two months ago and have been so annoying about recommending it to all my friends since then. <laughs> I love the hot takes. Oh, by the way, I love that. Um, I love the hot takes, film, and book recommendations and the banter so much. Being an art history major, a Harley Quinn lover, and a Faye yes. Webster fan made episode nine so much fun to listen to. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> I wonder how many of our listeners are also art history majors, Harley Quinn lovers, <laughs> and Faye Webster fans. When we do, like, a poll, like, like I, <laughs> a yeah. census. I'm like, I feel like this is not an endangered species of our demographic, but I, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lesbians talking about art is quite possibly my favorite genre ever, so thank you for the content. Also, I love how y'all listen to Faye's new... Oh, I hope y'all also, listen hope. to Faye's new album in its entirety by now. Yeah, I, I corrected myself, I think. I hope y'all have listened to Faye's new album in its entirety by now. Thoughts? Very good, is the thought. Anyways, I'm in my second... Or in my last semester Congrats. of undergrad Congrats. studying art history... Yes, and I have a topic I'd absolutely love if y'all could discuss for me. I'm putting together an exhibition proposal for my university about queer identity. This project is still in its brainstorming stage, but I'm leaning towards an exhibition focused on queerness and femininity slash how the over-sexualization of lesbians affects how they relate to slash see their own femininity. As fellow lesbians, what topics within the broad idea do you think would be important to see explored? Please feel free to discuss anything related to lesbianism that you would like to see explored in art and ways you have seen it explored that were successful, etc. Um, potential topics slash things to get the conversation going. Throughout most of art history, lesbianism slash sapphic love was only represented in erotic ways, not to mention primarily depicted by male artists as fantasies. How can lesbians reclaim this history? How has this, le how has this history influenced the ongoing sexualization of lesbians today? Thank you so much for reading this email and being amazing lesbians, Aww. Kenzie. Kenzie, much love big to love you. from me and Sunny. Much love. This was an amazing email to read. I laughed, I cried, <laughs> I had many epiphanies, um, I danced. Yeah. Epiphany <laughs> like by Taylor Swift, to. so real. No, and exactly. like when I sent Renaissance the screenshot of this email, they were like, oh my god, our listeners are so mm -hmm. cool. <laughs> no, y'all are so cool. Like you're literally you're in your last semester of being an art history major and putting together an exhibition and you want Sunny and I's and like input yeah. it's like no y'all are the y'all are the cooler in this situation in this interaction that we're having yeah. with kenzie here kenzie you are the cooler you're in the cooler position here um, yeah. but thank you so much for reaching out yeah i feel like do you, do you want right, to start like, i feel like something about or one of the portrayals of lesbianism uh that immediately came to mind that i felt was sort of like how uh, related to how throughout most of, like art history it's been represented in erotic ways and also by like male artists as fantasies um and the way that it's been reclaimed and stuff and i think like 
The thing that I immediately thought of was The Handmaiden, directed by Park Chan-wook, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 2016. And that's, like, my favorite movie of all time. And it's, it's like, directed by a man. Um, and it's... But it's, like... But it is about the male sexualization and fetishization of lesbians and then also like specifically like violence against women um and it also is like sort of an ongoing conversation with throughout the movie about like colonialism and patriarchy how these things are interrelated and like capitalism and all these things so i think like itself as like a piece of art is so meaningful in all these ways because it's set in like 1930s colonially occupied uh korea um and it's based off of the sarah waters novel fingersmith which is like a seminal piece of like lesbian history written by a woman who is presumably a lesbian um who has written many lesbian books um so it's an adaptation of it's it's an adaptation from a male director of like a lesbian's work um but i think that the difference with this piece of art as opposed to the ways that lesbians are like fetishized i think in a lot of other media is the fact that in like these sex scenes that we see in the handmaiden uh there are a couple like from what i've heard like on set when they were filming this like the director made all the men like leave the room and only had like women do this do like be holding the mics and like doing the camera work and stuff and he was sort of he was sort of like directing from another room so that they could like get the actresses to most ideally sort of like you know be be intimate with each other without it being like a way of like men to like ogle at them i think and i think that the way that the movie is like constructed is itself again like a criticism of the of the male gaze and i think like this director is very is, is very interested in sort of like tender relationships with women and like meaningful relationships with women between women and with like you know other people in general so i think that's sort of an example that's like in contrast and in relation to what you're talking about um and i think like something else that i immediately thought of was how the like erotic portrayals of lesbianism i feel like are oftentimes very like they're they don't they're always about like femmes or like people that people who are already palatable to the male gaze in one way or another and like i made like a tweet thread about this the other day because it was really frustrating me the way that like online rhetoric tries to equate different experiences for example like femmes being like oh my god like i'm so oppressed because no one thinks i'm a lesbian as soon as you look at me as opposed to the violence that like butch lesbians and like masks are face like constantly for not I not uh, you know conforming to the portrayal of gender identity that women are expected to hold even if they themselves are not women right like so I, I think that I, I feel like that's something that I wish more lesbian media focused on was sort of like the fact that butches are like the backbone of the lesbian community and have always been um so yeah I agree. Um, I think one thing about sapphic media that is produced or directed by men also reminded me of my favorite film, Disobedience, which is also directed by a man, but is a sapphic um, story that also has a very 
important sex scene in it. And it's also um, adapted and by, like, not a like, lesbian novel written by a lesbian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've read the movie is different I, more in the um, characterization, mm-hmm. especially of yeah. Ramit, which is who, yeah. who's played by yeah. Rachel Weisz. Well, the Handmaiden the, uh, the character is also, like, very different oh. from The Fingersmith because The Handmaiden kind of, like, yeah. cuts off in, like, the middle of The Fingersmith as the novel. And if you've seen that movie, you know there's so many yeah. twists and shit. So, like, it, the, the novel itself is, like, even crazier, which is crazy. Anyway, continue. Yeah, the, like, there's more backstory to Ronit as a character and her relationship with Esty in the book than there is in the movie i think that's also because in the book that's mostly portrayed through like flashbacks and memories mm-hmm. and it it would have felt it, it wouldn't have flowed naturally with the progression yeah. of the movie yeah it just, it just wouldn't have worked so that's not a slight against the movie however one thing that rachel weiss talked about in interviews during like the press tour of disobedience and is also just i think obvious when you watch the movie is that in the main sex scene there's only like only a couple of seconds where you don't see the actress's face most of the scene even though it is a sex scene is on either one or both of their faces like from like the chest up the entire time so you don't actually like physically see a lot of Mm -hmm. the sex that is happening Mm -hmm. um and then uh, another thing important part of this versus something like blow her mouth or warmest color, color <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's basically just like pornography mm-hmm. is that the this sex scene like furthers the plot. It shows a, mm-hmm. a huge turning yeah. point in particularly Esty's yeah. character that then influences like the entirety yeah. of the second half of the movie yeah. and same in the and handmaiden the scene itself all of the sex scenes are so integral yeah. to every theme that like the movie is talking about and the movie like disobedience is like maybe 90 minutes mm-hmm. long maybe maybe like 100 minutes and the sex scene is like barely a minute mm-hmm. and a half two right. minutes so like in the grand scheme of things the relationship that's being portrayed throughout the movie is not a sexual mm-hmm. relationship yeah. at all. It's actually a very deeply emotional, mm-hmm. emotionally intimate relationship that mm-hmm. they have that has a lot of backstory, or not backstory, but, like, history between them. It's not, like, this, like, these, this, like, passing affair and this, like, heightened sense of, of sexual passion that just comes out of nowhere so that guys can see women's tits and shit <laughs> right. like that. Like, right. it's, like, you know, it, it so... I don't think that it's impossible for men to create good sapphic media. Yeah. I don't think that they're known yeah. for it right. necessarily. Right. And most of it that is being made is adaptions by media that was already created right. by lesbians right. or other women. Yeah. Um, what do you think is like very yeah. influential as to how that happens? Yeah. Um, I also feel like in terms of what in the same way, I've seen a lot of criticism of Mm -hmm. women or of women writing, like, gay stories about, like, men. And there's a lot of literature Mm -hmm. that's like that, I guess. But also, not really, because there's also a lot of gay literature written by gay men. Um, But, like, and how people kind of try to talk about how it's, like, fetishization and stuff. Which, like, in some cases, yeah. But I feel like when we're talking about, like, 
how patriarchy operates. Like when women write about men who love men, like that is not the same thing as as men making media that explicitly sexualizes lesbians or like kind of reduces us to mm-hmm. who we are. Because this is the other thing, like women writers and like women women who like make art, uh, g- like I f- generally are just way less likely to objectify men specifically like i feel like there's a lot of romance novels out there that are super like misogynistic written by women but i think like in at least in my experience and i've read a lot of gay books um and a a lot of them were like written by women like i think that Mm -hmm. um trying to trying to whittle narratives and and like sort of discussions about who is allowed to create or who is best sorted to adapt or create media about like a certain identity has to be from that identity. I think like those discussions sometimes feel incredibly shallow and like, you know, liberal identity politics, sort of individualistic representation bullshit. Can y'all shut the fuck up? Can you hear that? (laughs) Actually, this makes me think about, oh, a sapphic movie that's coming out in November, Passing, directed by, I'm forgetting her name, Ruth something, which I've read the book by Nella Larson. It's phenomenal. It's it's like pretty short and it's sort of about like a sapphic tense relationship between two women who are kind of like friends. So thematically really on par with what we talk, with what we talk about on this podcast a lot. But um, there's, there's been a lot of discourse I've seen about like both the casting and the directing of this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. what you're talking because about. Because it's now. about, like, quote unquote, like, white passing black people set in the Harlem Renaissance. Which, yeah. and it's like about. And this is the yeah. thing. I feel like this is this. A lot of the conversations about media and, like, who is allowed to create what media kind of boils down to people not understanding the media <laughs> or not, like, knowing the history or context of what it's about. Because, like, passing. It, the, the the discussions that it's creating and i've seen a lot of creators talk about this like on tiktok and on twitter and stuff that like passing as as a piece of media is all about how race is informed by perception and then also like specifically like the 1920s the 1930s like how black people existed within society and the like that does not translate to what people experience now today due to how history and race remakes itself you know so the sort of a lot of people are like and also people just, people don't give enough credit to, like, artistic choices are made right. intentionally. <laughs> so if a specific choice, in terms of, mm-hmm. like, casting, like, like these are artistic decisions that are being made to evoke emotions and thoughts from the audience. So if you are feeling a particular kind of way, instead of being like, oh, because I'm noticing this, that means that it's, like, a bad artistic mm-hmm. decision, how about actually doing some yeah. media analysis and wondering why and was think this about decision why. made yeah especially and i think that's like part of it is the byproduct of like social mm. media influencing yeah. casting and like fucking tiktok <laughs> bitches getting internet Netflix shows just because yeah. they like because they like bring audience and so uh-huh. now casting has just been boiled down to how many followers you have and how many people can you bring to watch a certain piece right but that's still not all that casting is like casting is still a very instrumental Mm -hmm. part so because i know a lot of people are like because i don't think it was tessa thompson but i think it was the other actress Uh 
where people were either saying she doesn't look black uh-huh. enough or she doesn't look white enough yeah. to pass or yeah. like they should have casted this kind of actress versus <laughs> right, this kind right. of actress i think people were talking about like, how tessa thompson like looks too black to like for but it's like guys guys yeah. <laughs> this is the what this is the but point this the, is the fucking that's, point that's that's right. what I'm saying. It's like the casting was yeah. intent. Like this was not a uh, oopsie daisy. Yeah. Oh, da 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 da. Like, yeah. And I read an think article about, about think how about the director, it. her name is Ruth Nega. I'm pretty sure she is. Um, mm-hmm. she's like when you look at her, she's like a white British lady. But her mom was her mom is like African American. Um, I'm pretty sure was like a singer. I think. Um, and like you, like you can't tell when you look at her that. She has a black hair. I knew it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I knew it. I fucking knew it. So the director what? is um mm-hmm. is Rebecca Hall. And when you oh, were yeah, saying yeah, that yeah. reminded oh, me. Oh, Ruth Nagel was because, the other actress, not um, yeah, Rebecca Hall is the actress. Or yeah, the director, yeah, Ru- sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rebecca Hall is in Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, also in my favorite movies. Wait, which character and does when she you play? said that, I was like, Oh, that reminds me of Re- Elizabeth. Oh, okay. okay the wife gotcha. wife. Right. Yeah. Because her mom mm-hmm. is black, but she does mm-hmm. look white. And I remember, I was like, she's giving a little bit ethnic. <laughs> just like a little bit ethnic. Yeah. Kind yeah. of like um, Nicole mm-hmm. Richie mm-hmm. is Lionel Richie's mm-hmm. daughter. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, in the early 2000s, best friends with Paris mm-hmm. Hilton. And they're both scenes like these like bottle blondes, even though like she's literally the daughter of like yeah. one of the most famous black people yeah. ever. Um, and similar with Rebecca Hall, a very famous African-American mom. Mm-hmm. Well, is her, I think her mom is African-American, yeah. like, as in, like, yeah. U.S. Not like right. when, like, Anna Wintour yeah. called me <laughs> Call Campbell. <laughs> African-American. Girl. I think, yeah, she, no, I think she's actually I think her mom America. really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that kind right. of African-American. But, um. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will not be caught slipping. <laughs> you know, like, in the 1920s. It did not matter what you looked like. If you had a black parent, black grandparent, or black great grandparent, like you were you were you not were given the same rights as people who didn't have black parents or grandparents or great grandparents. And like obviously this in a lot of ways it doesn't play out the same way in modern society. And I think like currently I've seen a lot of like TikToks about people and I and like I personally know people who like have a black parent biologically and like look white completely um or who look black and are white like this is the other thing it's like race is so much about perception and then the experiences you 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 have under that perception so like it's interesting when like i remember seeing these tiktoks about this kid who like kind of looks white and he's mixed and he was like when i hang out with like all white people they'll say things that are like racist or anti-black not knowing that i am black and it's really uncomfortable for me because um because like what am i supposed to really because like they're they're acting as if they're, they are they don't know an element of me but also like they're not entitled to that but also like because they don't know that i am who i am they act in a certain way so it's like that's that's the other thing it's so contextually it's so contextual and so necessary to think about that but i agree but then as someone well because it's different because like i'm mixed but i'm like physically right, right, black. Right. there's uh, 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 i mean maybe in the future <laughs> there will be a time where my blackness yeah. is questioned or i walk into a room people don't know that i'm black i have yet to experience right. that myself right. however as someone who went to school with people who grew up around black people 
or had a very racialized experience but are not black mm-hmm. feel like they are a little bit too close to blackness mm-hmm. but i'm like you're still not black. right so it's like yes it is based off of your experience to a certain extent and definitely that's like where like colorism comes in mm-hmm. like even within the black community not everyone based on how you perceive whether you're perceived as someone who is darker skinned or light skinned or someone who can like pass in terms of like 2021 right. standards of passing um but still identifies black like there's you know still a lot of harm that can be done within the community but then also someone who's not black who grew up around black people doesn't may feel like they have a very similar experience to black people mm-hmm. but in fact like do not right um, no, right like it's the difference then, is yeah, like, like where is your parent is historical. your is your like the way that like it's not it's not even like yeah who you grew up around it's like who is your mm-hmm. parent like who is your grandparent what is your relationship yeah. to said person and so and like that is what gives you quote-unquote access to whatever culture and like that's this is i think something similar to with like yeah. transracial adoptees like i a lot of kids who are chinese or korean who have white parents because they're adopted like I, like i think it's like it's like there's no doubt that they are east asian like they just are because that's what they look like and that's something that you cannot take away from someone but if you're racialized in that way on a perception level but like in your day-to-day experience you have no Mm -hmm. connection to the biological parents who gave you what you look like it's like how can what does that impact people so differently so it's like this uh, yeah anyway that no but that's how i feel and also because like my great-grandmother's birth certificate has her racial marker as mm-hmm. black even though that woman is not <laughs> black right. at all but it was because at the time that she was born in like the hospital in which she got her birth certificate the only non-white like, option. racial and ethnic yeah. markers were yeah was you were either white or you were yeah. black and she's definitely not mm-hmm. white so that was the only option mm-hmm. so but like that's on her birth mm-hmm. certificate in 2021 yeah. would it be appropriate for her to call herself black right. absolutely yeah. not <laughs> um even though that probably coded so much of her experience right. from like birth until yeah. just like, like on paper a as lot well. into like her early right. adulthood yeah. yeah so it's like i don't understand but that's why i feel like again with this movie or with this particular project mm-hmm. people who are complaining about it have to understand the context of not only is it it being made like in terms of Rebecca Hall being the director of it, mm-hmm. but also like the time period mm-hmm. and the context in which it takes mm-hmm. it is taking place. Yeah. And if you do not understand that and you don't understand the racial politics that are informing this piece, then I think it would be inappropriate to comment on it. Yeah. Um, I think next season we're like forty minutes in. I know. Oh yeah, we have we still need to answer <laughs> the Mackenzie's actual question. But I was always gonna say next yeah. season, season three, hopefully at that point we'll be recording in November and stuff. We should definitely like watch the movie and like do an episode on it. And like if and maybe yeah. you can read the book if you want to and we can talk about that. And we can talk about the adaptation mm-hmm. sort of um element. But anyway, mm-hmm. any thoughts on Mackenzie's like project relating to things that she should portray within the lesbianism, queerness, over-sexualization stuff. She said, I'm leaning towards an exhibition focused on queerness and femininity. Mm-hmm. And I think that, but then also follows it up with what would we like mm-hmm. to see explored and explored in terms of well, this exhibit also like in lesbian and, and sapphic media in general. And I'd say an attention to like studs in mm-hmm. particular, 
which are like black mask lesbians mm-hmm. um witches and just like other masks mm-hmm. in general i think would be what i personally like to yeah. explore like i am a femme i love um mm-hmm. femmes as well um but i feel like yeah. In terms of the sapphic rep- like media that is out, they're pretty well yeah, represented. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And so, I think I think it would just like be yeah. not necessarily like oh more progressive, but I feel like it would kind of be more I original, know, I guess. Not have like a bigger yeah. splash. Yeah, right. yeah. I-, I feel like it it would just be mo- like there'd just be so much more to yeah. to dig into. And um, Mackenzie doesn't specify whether she is a femme mm-hmm. a fudge mm-hmm. a budge mm-hmm. stud um so maybe this could be an opportunity to reach out to the you know mask lesbians mm-hmm. in your vicinity mm-hmm. um in terms of who would be interested in like contributing or helping you with like their perspective yeah. in the exhibit i just think that would be a cool thing yeah. oh in terms of like how the over sexualization mm-hmm. of lesbians affects how they relate or see their own femininity I can't speak for everyone, obviously, but I find that like hypersexualized lesbian content is typically not consumed by other mm-hmm. lesbians because that's usually clearly lesbian for content men. made yeah. for men and under the male. Yeah, like it's made by mm-hmm. men for men. Yeah, that's the intended audience. Yeah, and so it affects the certain like the types of violence that lesbian mm-hmm. face in their real life. However, in terms of its impact on me, in terms of, like media that I consume me and my other lesbian friends are not talking about very sexualized media content so in that way it hasn't really affected how I relate to femininity Mm -hmm. because the femininity that influences how I see myself as a lesbian Mm -hmm. are disobedience Mm -hmm. gentleman jack (laughs) Um, like shit like that so um that to answer Kenzie's question to finally get to it (laughs) (laughs) that's my feedback right I was gonna say like Something that I think that you could talk about is sort of the way that, like, quote-unquote femininity, what that looks like for, like, lesbians versus what that looks like for non-lesbians. And then, and, like, how does the male gaze affect how lesbians not only are perceived, but, like, how we are and what we look like and what we do um, in spite of the mm-hmm. fact that we are, like, lesbians? Um, what what how to and like I think also maybe a history into like femme identity and then also like the fact that I think like I don't know we all know gender is a construct you know it's a social project I think like the conceptions of femininity and masculinity are like you know also also that as well um because there's nothing inherent about anything that is gendered right like there's nothing more what is masculinity what is femininity why is that there a binary there why are broad shoulders masculine why are why like that doesn't make any sense it's just these attributes that have been given to people why is a skinny waist and a fat <laughs> ass i mean the <laughs> thickest ass you've ever seen considered considered a, a lesbian woman's face, you know if i happen to be skinny waist with a thick ass <laughs> you know yeah. or like the idea uh, who's that like to blame in that situation <laughs> right right or like the idea that like lesbians who aren't femme are like ugly like the um, idea of like the scary hairy mm-hmm. ugly yeah. lesbian yeah. trope when it's like 
the person that you were describing, one, is yeah. gorgeous. Probably getting the most <laughs> game out of the entire no, lesbian community. So you can hate, yeah. but guess who's not sleeping alone? <laughs> Them. The ugly, the the, the ugly, ugly lesbian. That bitch? No. Yeah. They're the quote ugly lesbian like, at sleeping all. with Literally, right, right now. at this very right moment. As oh my I god, wait, this reminds moment. me of, uh, you so. didn't, you fell asleep when we tried to watch this, but Bound by the Wachowski sisters. <laughs> Okay, it wasn't that I fell asleep because I didn't want to watch it. It was after, like, a long day of very intense socialization. (laughs) The way, in the eyes of the listener, that's going to sound like I fucking, like, was bored. I was not. I was already exhausted. And then the movie was playing. And I was laying on a very comfy bean chair type situation that knocked me out. Yeah, exactly. But But yeah, that's sort of my answer to this. I I did fall asleep, though. Good job. Yeah, I think that's the end of our um, the segment where we respond to y'all's hot takes and stuff. I hope that was helpful for you, Kenzie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And feel free to follow up with yeah. another email. I'm very yeah. interested in when how you're done this with goes. it. And please let send us, know us when your you picture. Finish. Send us your dissertation. Well, like yes. that'll be a media analysis episode for us. We'll be like, look, <laughs> yeah. here's your art. Free free yeah. promo for Kenzie. Exactly. We will do an episode if you send us your exactly. finished exhibit. For the second part of the podcast, we're going to be talking about, well, usually we talk about like our shared media, but since we're talking, this is a nostalgia episode, this is a, it's a finale, it's, you know, season finale, like special things, we're going to be talking about our cringe pasts, our (laughs) shared media uh, embarrassments, um, Mm -hmm. and uh, let's talk about the other ones before we get to (laughs) the one that we're, that we're going to talk about that we have shared. Yeah, no, like, what are your sort of like seminal, like, identity forming media primer sort of experiences um yeah like movies tv shows books whatever yeah mine hands down like i'm still identified as this by friends of mine who are friends with me during this era Mm -hmm. mine is Mm -hmm. by far unequivocally like i like i need you to know how yeah wait okay i'm gonna guess it we're gonna do three two one and say the name of it Okay. Three, two, one. Downton, Downton Abbey. Abbey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Downton yes. Abbey. Okay. It, mm-hmm. it, this. That should change your life. <laughs> it, it really did. Like, I feel like, I, I, you know, it wasn't anything new under the sun in terms of like, I feel like everyone between the ages of like maybe 11, 13, 14 has the thing that is like, this is. Yeah, your that's their thing, right. Yeah, like, like this is the interest that's going to now follow you for the rest of your life. And for me, that was Downton Abbey. Mm. I made my first internet friend through that fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that was the my first fan accounts that I ever made on Instagram. And there's, like, it was so small. And the fandom mm. for Downton Abbey at the time was either, like, children, like, like my mm-hmm. age, like, yeah 11 to 14 other 11 year olds and like, yeah yeah and like 50 to 80 year old women <laughs> like <those laughs> the two people yeah. that were yeah. engaging about this show in their free time mm-hmm. online i mean that's why i love period pieces to this day that's why right. that shows the reason why i still watch british television to this day mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i have been watching british shows it like consistently since I watched that show in middle school. Yeah. Um, it was my first experience with grief because 
Uh, no, mm-hmm. I had no close family members in my life ever pass away prior to, mm-hmm. not prior to that show as if those were close family members, but like, I mm-hmm. never loved, because they're fictional mm-hmm. characters, but in, in the mind yeah. of my middle school self, like very personal yeah. connections I had to these characters. Right, right, right. I never, I never had to mourn or, or see death in that kind of way. I didn't have any childhood pets that had mm-hmm. died that really affected me. So that show was really a way for me to communicate how I was perceiving romantic relationships, how I was, mm-hmm. it, it was foundational in terms of my idea of, of friendship, of death, of sibling mm-hmm. relationships, of child mm-hmm. parent relationships. Also, it's how I got introduced to the idea of like class relations, which is like mm-hmm. huge throughout the show. Um, and I think it really helped, like, disillusion me of this idea of, like, the friendly landlord. Not that I don't mm-hmm. think that the family in Downton Abbey is, like, not a fa- friendly landlord, but in the way mm-hmm. that, like, oh, that's fictional. Like, that is not how mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. between employers and employees actually yeah. work in the real world. They're the reason why I still love British period pieces to this day and defend yeah. them. If I if I probably didn't go through that phase, I probably would be another hater of British period dramas, which seems to be like a personal, a, a very popular take at the time. Um, but for me, not for me, <laughs> not for me. I yeah. eat that shit up. Eat it up. Not for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of them. There's, there's multiple. Uh, like there's right. also like... Um, Called the Midwife, which is another uh-huh. British period drama that I watched um, that kind of ran alongside my Downton era. There was my Once Upon a Time phase, which was very, very foundational to me. Um, I watched mm. Mad Men in middle school, which is another period drama. A lot of period dramas is really what got me through mm-hmm. puberty. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, I think my secondly most identifiable phase, but the one that I am probably actually embarrassed and don't talk about is uh-huh. my castle phase. Um, uh-huh. And any ex-castle stands, that's like, we do not talk about that time. And <laughs> yeah, those are probably my, my, my heavy hitters. Right. How did you get introduced to, like, fandom? Like, what was oh, your first, like, platform? Like, how did you engage with, like, other fans and stuff? I thought I know I the answer fucking... to this, but... Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was, like, inventing this shit. I was like, no one has ever right. thought of creating a second account yeah. just to talk about their interests yeah. ever. <laughs> Meanwhile, this is, like, 2012. People have been doing this for a right. while. Um, right. But mine was uh, an Instagram account that I still have, by the way, but it's under a different username. But the first mm-hmm. username was... Oh, what was it? Oh, it was Mary underscore and underscore Matthew underscore Crawley. And it was a Downton mm-hmm. Abbey Instagram fan page. And I was, like, one of the largest Instagram fan pages uh-huh. at, at my peak at the time right. that I was running it. Which, for the context, is not as big as fan pages get nowadays. Um, right, because it was, like, what, 2014? Like, Yeah. yeah. And uh, the Downton fandom was pretty small at the time as well. But <laughs> right. Yeah, that was my first one. And then I made a second one for, a second Instagram for my Once Upon a Time phase. Mm-hmm. And then I joined twin. Twitter in 2013 and have been running Twitter stand pages ever since 2013. Right. Yeah. And Twitter's been my main platform since probably around 2014, I'd say. Right. Yeah. So it, so it's like a lot of like shows were like integral to 
who you are as, like, a media consumer. Which, like, in, in terms of my relationship to fandom, there's, like, other, like, mm. movies and books that were integral mm-hmm. to, like, if you interact with me regular, like, in person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but in terms of my relationship to fandom, those are definitely... I was in those particular scenes and interacting with other people that enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. What was, like, the first, like, book or, like, movie that left, like, a deep impression on you? Like, I don't know, because as a kid, I swear to God, okay, when I was in elementary school, the kids in my class would get so annoyed at me because every time I finished a book, which at that point was every day, I I would talk to, I would talk someone's ear off about what the fuck it was mm-hmm. about and i would be like oh my god this is my favorite book ever the next day i read another book this is my favorite book ever like it like it literally did i thought everything i read was fucking spectacular and so <laughs> like i never read a book that i didn't like when i was a kid i would like anything it, you, you could put me in front of like a sports newscaster i don't give a shit about sports i was not athletic at any point in my life and i would sit in front of that and i would eat that shit up like i i didn't care if it was on a screen if it was on in a book i would read it and so it meant that i had a lot of access to things that a six-year-old should not have had access to an 11-year-old should not have read as a nine-year-old mm-hmm. i would read like explicit sex scenes and like full-blown like erotica novels because i would just go into like the teen section at the library and like pick up the romance books so (laughs) like it was not good but also i think it, it really did shape who i am today because like like i because i was so non-discriminatory with the media that I consumed it was literally like if this looks interesting I will pick it up and I will read it if this like dvd at the library because that was mostly how I watched shows and movies because we never had like cable or anything no like I never was really into any specific like fandom per se because I was just so voracious as like like I mean up until the point that I started like watching this specific tv show I was so Mm -hmm. voracious with what I consumed that like I couldn't, it was all good to me. I was like, this is all so cool. Like, I love reading so much. And, like, I would get in trouble in class and shit for reading. And I would always be so annoyed because I'm like, what can you offer me that this novel cannot? Like, you are killing me here. You are fucking killing me. And I would always, like, try to flex on my other second grader friends by being like, how big of a book did you read? And what was it about? And how interesting was it to you? Like, I've always been obnoxious. I miss when that used to be <laughs> the beef that you would have yeah. with your peers. Now it's yeah. like, okay, you're a fucking bootlicker cop and yeah. in my English class right yeah. now. Pipe down. I wish it was just back to the days of right. just like picking up books. But How many like, books when, can you read? Yeah, when you said getting in trouble for reading in class, there are two distinct series that had that grip. That, that monstrous grip on my attention span. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of mm. them was, okay, this is very embarrassing. Like, this is not highbrow. This is nothing to be, to be writing home about. So uh, I just want to preface yeah. that. I'm not necessarily saying that this is in the best right. taste. But mm-hmm. it was the Maximum Ride series, which was ori- originally <gasps> written by James, James yes. Patterson. Yes. Um, but I would I read, read this series as a kid too. Yes, I read the manga versions of yes, it. Yes, I read the wait, I was gonna bring this up actually. When I was in third grade, someone had it checked out. I was in the fourth library. grade. That would have been the same year. <laughs> We're literally that would have been the same year for us. No, because no, I remember I had like read a, the thing is that I also love graphic novels. I 
novels like it, I didn't matter so I would read I would read graphic novels mm-hmm. I would read novels I did like I would read anything so I remember mm-hmm. like and I would read that shit out of order like I did <laughs> I did not care oh I always and read so- it I read that. It was, it, I, I always just read it. I always just read whatever was available at the library. And so, mm-hmm. like, whatever was available, I would pick it up and I'd be like, this looks interesting. And then I would read it. And, like, the librarians would. <laughs> anyway, I had an interesting relationship with my middle school and elementary school <laughs> and high school librarians. I remember in high school, I would send my librarians, a, like, every other week, a list of books that I wanted them to buy. And they would buy them for me. Because, like, we had, a, we had, like, the budget was, like, it was for Sunny. The budget was for Sunny. It was, <laughs> they were getting books for me. Anyway, um, but no, I remember this kid had, um, one of the kids in my third grade class, his name's Adam. Uh, <laughs> he had one of the graphic novels of the Maximum Ride series. And it was like the second or third book or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, oh, I've already read like the first or second book. Like I'd be interested in reading that. So I just like asked him at, for during our 20 minute recess, can I read this graphic novel, like your copy of this book. And he was like, yeah, sure. And I read it cover to cover within that time period because, you know, it's a graphic novel. And when I finished it, Mm -hmm. I gave it back to him. I was like, thanks for letting me borrow. And he was like, you read this whole thing over our 20 minute recess? I was like, yeah. And he like literally would not believe me. And I'm like, "Mm, okay, just because I'm smart doesn't mean I'm lying. Like, (laughs) anyway, what were you going to say about Maximum Ride? No, I just, that was one of the first books where I was like, reading it under my desk like in class like (laughs) trying to I could not put that shit down and it's one of the first books that I remember because I've always been a visual media type of person like even even as a child people would always classify my adoration for television as like laziness or like this is gonna make you dumb even though Mm -hmm. I was consistently one of the smartest kids in my I just I've always loved television and visual mediums I don't I I don't know why I've had this connection obviously I've matured and grown since then but that's just one of the first books that I remember and probably because it's a graphic novel as well so it still is very visual but it's one of the first times where I remember coming home and not wanting to watch tv after like after school Mm. and homework and like Mm -hmm. I just remember sitting and I was like I have to finish this book because it kept being Mm -hmm. interrupted so I didn't get very far Mm -hmm. at school obviously I was upset like Every year when a new Maximum Ride book would drop, I'd be like, Mom, <laughs> I was like, where in the family budget this. are we yeah. setting aside the finances <laughs> to buy me this new Like, that was, like, my gift. Like, especially yeah. with the Scholastic News Fairs and stuff. Oh, right, um, right, right. Especially because my mom worked at a middle school the majority of my uh-huh. life. So I had an infinite access to YA yeah novels right like right, right, for right. most of my life yeah, so yeah, yeah. those no the scholastic book fair that had a fucking grip on me like <laughs> that, those, okay first of all why do they stop i, I want in university right now at my federally funded university book i need and i mean like <laughs> with the pop-ups with the fun erasing i'm not talking <laughs> the about this yeah yeah i don't want no no girl boss, this minimalist white yeah. and black no i want maximalism <laughs> i want yeah. i want lisa frank style advertising <laughs> for this scholastic book fair uh, okay yeah um yeah. but anyways I, I yeah i ate that shit up and then the other yeah. book series that had a grip on me was the divergence divergence mm. yeah 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 um yeah i also series. read that yeah and the books are so much better than yeah. how the movies came out, in my opinion. All, terrible, they always terrible are. Movies. Yeah, the adaptations but, of the movie. This is what I'm talking about. Adaptations of, like, sci-fi shit. And Because, mm-hmm. okay, this is the other thing. Snowpiercer, also, Blade I Runner, and Ex Machina are of 
Oh, you don't remember the the movies no, that I, I talked about earlier. Feeling. Oh, I the movies I was talking about at the very beginning of this episode, like those are mm-hmm. all adaptations. Oh, like for example, Arrival. That's an adaptation of a, of a short story mm-hmm. I love. Like the all, all the best sci fi that you can think of is in fucking adaptation because that's mm-hmm. that's how good sci fi dystopian fantasy shit is made it has to be written down like there's no other way to create such an expansive intricate universe that because on a visual level like it's portrayed in a way that's like you can just see it immediately but in a book it's like all those details need to be written that's why like the i mean not to mention harry potter but like harry potter as a franchise has such a grip on so many people because like the the sort of essence of it the vibes the, the 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 feeling that you get from the book the books are so effectively portrayed in the movies um, in, a, in a way that, like, creates that atmosphere that's, like, so palpable to people in a way that, like, they're inseparable in people's minds at this point. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, if you're a director or a filmmaker and you read an amazing sci-fi mm-hmm. novel, I can understand the be, like, mm-hmm. I need to get what I'm seeing in my mind, like, to yeah. be, like I need to make right. this. Like I, like, I understand the yeah. the kind of, like, creative voyage of The desire sci-fi. to want to. Yeah. yeah. Right. Especially of, like, yeah. the creative process side of it mm-hmm. however right it's so interesting the, like yeah. i mean why wouldn't uh, you want to try to figure out how right. to make this in a visual way yeah, yeah but yeah. it's always going right. to fall short because part of what makes right. written sci-fi so good is that you have the infiniteness of the human yeah. imagination and right. once you put something right. in a visual medium it's not limited to anything yeah you're automatically limiting what you're Boxing in not only the in. time frame right 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 of like yeah. you can read a book over a much longer time frame like a movie is pretty uh-huh. much is set and then also like mm-hmm. ratio like the directing so like there's so many limitations once you go from a sci-fi book or novella to on screen but i still yeah. understand why they continue to be made and why so right, many right, right. directors and creatives and like even actors who want to like be in sci-fi movies mm-hmm. like want to do it it's just always going to mm-hmm. fall short in in one aspect or another. So. Yeah, definitely. And, like, that's the other thing. I feel like, or even, like, Annihilation, um, the movie and the book, like, people who read the book and watch the movie, a common criticism that is sort of heard is that, like, what you think of, because Jeff Vandermeer books and a lot of sci-fi books, it's, like, what you can think of is not, like, everyone imagines it in a different way. Like, no one is going to, and no, mm-hmm. like, no, everyone's going to, sort of conceive these characters in a different way even like even with like visual media now like people people the discourse that happens about this shit is all because everyone's interpretations are different like all media affects people differently even if the end result of like how you feel or like whether you like it or not might be the same like why you like it how you like it what parts of it you like what parts connect to you what parts stood out to you that's like that is what that's fundamentally going to be different from individual to individual you know and like Mm -hmm. well also like lowbrow book series and shit that i was super obsessed with as a kid there is there's this the candy apple series uh the rotten apple series yes so those books oh like the fairy books oh the emily winsnap books the like all like oh the mother daughter book club the mother daughter book club series had a grip on me like it was it it was so and i think like that book series sort of showed to me oh and the land of stories sorry to add on to mine Oh, gotcha. the land stories. Like, Continue. those books that were all marketed towards and targeted towards a teenage girl, like, young girl demographic. And I loved it. Like, I loved all of it because it was, 
even if it was about you know even if there was like a plot line about like a romance or a boy or whatever a lot oftentimes there were like it was so it was so much about how girls like are and like that was what I was interested in I didn't give a shit about anyone else like if when I picked up a book and the main character wasn't a girl like I was like mm, no like <laughs> I did not give a fuck like when we would go to like Costco or whatever, they would have the big sort of books, like just sitting, and I would just go there and like flip through all the shit. And one of them was the like grim book of fairy tales. And I remember when I was like a young child, I like picked that up and like read it cover to cover. Every night read another, read another like 20 stories because I just, I love fairy tales as a concept. And I also love, I read a lot of like retellings and stuff as well. Before I realized that I was gay, <laughs> mm-hmm. I never understood why my favorite characters were always like the side female character and like every episode I'd be upset that there weren't more, which is also probably why I ended up falling in love with like Call the Midwife because like every main character, there's one male main character and he's a husband. He's a male wife. So it- He's it, the male wife. Yeah. To segue into our shared media, the thing that- does not necessarily have a main female character that we were both obsessed with was mm-hmm. BBC's Sherlock um, in middle school. This yeah, was also a very- That was our cringe phase. Wait, another cringe phase integral. for us that was integral to our identities is uh, yeah. our Hamilton phases. Our Hamilton phases. We need to talk about that. <laughs> no, and this is the other thing. With visual well. media, I would latch on to, like, with books, it didn't matter. I would, eat, I would, it didn't really, I mean, I would read whatever. Um, but also, there mm-hmm. were points at which, like, my parents would be like, Sunny, you need to stop reading young adult novels about women and start reading some serious literature. I remember they were like, get your act together. Like, you need to, like, you need to start reading stuff that, like, actually matters. And so I remember as a kid in elementary school, I would, like, pick up, like, mm-hmm. one to two nonfiction books every time I would go to my school library just to, like, please mm-hmm. them, just to be like, look, guys, I'm reading about fish, okay? Like, leave me alone. Like, but it, it, this, I would just flip through it and be like, okay, yeah, I'm done. And I would go back to whatever else I wanted to read. Like, oh, and also I remember in fourth grade, I re- uh, if any, any one of our listeners knows this, I remember reading Aberat by Clive Barker. And that was probably one of my first introductions to like high fantasy. But the main character was like a young girl who, and and she was, and I remember that <gasps> oh was like. A, I forgot one of uh-huh. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, but I remember that being one of the most, like, integral sort of reading experiences for me. Also, um, I, I didn't have, like, the internet as a kid. Like, I, I didn't get, like, a phone or access to the internet till I was, like, 13, like, 14. And I never made any social media account until I was, like, maybe, like, 14. So, as a kid, like, I, di- I didn't even know that fandom was, like, a thing. Like, I couldn't even conceive of it conceptually. I remember in in sixth grade, someone was talking about, like, fan fiction. I was like, what the what the fuck is that? Oh, that reminds me. The mm-hmm. reason why I made my Downton Abbey mm-hmm. fan, fan account was because I was posting so many Downton Abbey memes on my personal middle school account. Like, in and people sixth were grade. Like, Shut I, the fuck up. <laughs> no, my friends were like, I'm going to unfollow you if you do not stop posting Downton Abbey memes. Like, you have to oh shut up God. about it. Because it's right. like, this is like they couldn't a 2012, they didn't, 2013 they didn't Instagram shit, culture right? where you would post five times a day like especially yeah. like as a child yeah. like yeah. like right multiple like oh Everything. 30 minutes have yeah. passed time to make a new instagram right post. yeah, yeah so yeah. these bitches who were not interested in downton abbey at all were seeing mm-hmm. five to ten conservative <laughs> downton abbey memes a day and they're like shut <laughs> the fuck up and so it's like well if i can't right. do it here i'm gonna do it somewhere else and that is right. how i conceived of 
fan accounts was like, right, 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 oh, right, you right. were bullied into making a second account? <laughs> Me too. I <laughs> was bullied into making a second account. No, like, I couldn't even conceive. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I didn't, when I was like, up until when I was like 11, I did not know what Facebook was. Oh, take me back to those times. Anyway, like, I didn't, I did wow. not know of it at all. Like, I could. That's right. I had a Facebook before I had an Instagram. No, like, like I, I just didn't, I was so disconnected from things. So, and I was like, because I was so in my head, and I was also kind of like a loner as a kid. I mean, I, mm, like, as a kid, I was always like the weird one, like very disturbed. I, I was a very disturbed child. Okay. So <laughs> even when I did end up getting friends, it like, you know, later in my life and like accumulating like these really sort of tumultuous friend groups <laughs> like we like shared media was it would, it would be like one thing that'd be the core like i remember oh this like music and stuff i remember like i listened to lord i was like this is it like i'm i'm this is it's over for me bitch this is it like <laughs> i'm like mm-hmm. i can't do any i remember listening to like lana Del big Rey's, day like, for annoying people everywhere <laughs> big day pure heroin big day for middle schoolers who are depressed like literally no and i remember list like i remember seeing on i think at, by the time i got on social media people i would see i heard of like artists that i never heard of before because like in my family we again like the media consumption uh, tv on like a pop cultural level very minimal like we didn't listen to music we didn't listen to secular music we didn't watch a lot of secular movies we didn't watch a lot of secular shows um so like i i just had no context for a lot of the stuff that people were talking about so when i realized that there were like whole cultures around media consumption i was like this is kind of weird, but okay. And like, I, I was like, okay, if people who like Lord say that they like Lana Lore, then I will go listen to her. And I would like methodically listen to the, I would like sit down and be like, okay. And then go through the whole album. And like, because I had no conception of what I liked or didn't like, I, I, I would just kind of be like, okay, this is music. And like, move on. Like, I really, I really was not like, this is the song I like. I was always just like, this is music. This is what music sounds like. <laughs> this whole episode is turning out to be how many signs of neurodivergency can Sunny and Renaissance <laughs> say that they had in early childhood? And how did all of these fly so significantly under the radar? And also that- in middle school, when I got Spotify, I remember I would like, mm-hmm. oh, because I never listened to the radio, you know, like in the car, my parents would play the Christian network like we I never listened to secular music so when I got access to it I would go to like the top 40 playlist and just listen to that literally just listen to that so I could know what the fuck people were talking about so I could recognize songs in stores because otherwise I would not know like I would not know anything (laughs) oh anyway yeah this is so interesting because I feel like I have been consuming, like, popular media my Mm. entire life. No, like, and I remember feeling so, like, this is so... Because I couldn't talk to people about the things that I enjoyed. Because it wasn't like uh my other kids in my class were reading the same books as I was. Like, people... people, Mm. And whenever I found someone who had read a book that I had... Oh my god, it was it was over for me. Like, I I was screaming, crying, throwing up, being like, we need to talk about this. And they... And, and like I would and again with the whole like talking of I would give an entire 30 minute plot summary of a book that someone did not I would and I would I remember in in like in middle school I would bring a book with me to like summer camp and I'd be like okay listen to this passage and I would read it out loud and I'd be like see 
isn't that so cool? And I would like, I would do a whole fucking lecture series, like for hours. So like random other children who did not give a fuck. <laughs> and then like the, the camp counselors would be sitting around being like, Sonny, why are you talking about sexual abuse in the, because it's like a book about that. And I'm like, and they're like seeing me as like an 11 year old going into detail about like the various traumas that these characters are experiencing and like the ways that they interact and like how beautiful I think different lines are. And they were like, my, my camp, the, the adults in the room were always like, hello? Like, do you need, you need, you need help. Oh, and also, okay, again with, okay, I didn't get to the point with this other, with this other element of which I was saying, but when my parents were like, you need to read real literature, I remember my dad gave me a copy of The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway and said, you need to read this. I was 12. I was like, mm. no fucking way you're making me read Hemingway? Who is that? literally who is that like and so I would read it and I would be so annoyed like just just the principle of the thing that I was being expected to read something by someone else who wasn't just you know wasn't just directed by my own like I, I've always been a very willful person like I a very strong willed like I only want to do things that I want to do and I will do them really? in spite of any authority in spite of any. I, so and then I when I was told to do things this. I've never seen I've <laughs> never seen this play out in our own interactions i've never seen this play out in front yeah. of my own two eyes i have no idea what you're talking about so like, you always seem to, like, like such a chill go with the me. flow kind of personality to me just know any particular no. set in stones ideations of how certain social interactions or life or days will play out at all you just seem very None. so so free. normal yeah yeah so yeah so my parents would make me read it and then they would make me like do like write-ups of that shit to make sure that I was actually reading it and oh that sounds yeah. horrific no it was terrible but eventually I was like okay wait now maybe maybe they have a point because then a couple of years later my dad was like you need to read Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte um and I, I think my parents had as kids they had also they had read like the Chinese translated versions of a lot of like you know American British like classics and stuff so they were like this impacted me as a child so you need to now read it um and hmm. so I would so I would read I, I remember reading Jane Eyre over when I was like 12 or 13 and like that book every other word is an SAT vocab word like I swear to god like it I girl like I did not know what Charlotte Bronte was talking about half the time like I could kind of figure it out but by the time I got to the end of the book I was like this is really interesting. Maybe all classic books are not stupid and bad. And so, like, I had such an aversion to that type of... But, like, now, because because I, ha I have to read... I have to read... Sad face. Just kidding. Like, it was just... <laughs> and I, I don't know. I feel like I've always been really annoying about books. But, like, with other media and stuff, it was always, like, the attachment... What I mean, I guess there was. For but, like, me? it's not that significant, I guess. Until Sherlock until Sherlock <laughs> for me like when you're saying like forcing people to listen to you talk about like full lectures about the book that you're reading <laughs> or something like that for my relationship is that I feel like I've always um listened or been consuming popular media especially like uh -huh. in terms of radio like I, my, I we did not have um radio Disney like I had one kids pop album that I kind of listened to and it was from the early mm -hmm. 2000s before they really censored it. Mm -hmm. Like, the real artists are yeah. on these tracks. So in terms of that, like, I've, I've, I've always known what the popular mm -hmm. songs of, like, each year from probably, like, 2003 to now have been. Um, right. However, for me, 
is I would watch something that like was a very popular show. The most memorable mm-hmm. that I can think of was House of Anubis. I would go around on the playground <laughs> while people were on swings, on monkey bars, on the play set, being like, did you see the episode last night? Did you watch the new episode of House of Anubis last night? Like for me, this was like, like we did not go to church. So mm-hmm. my like weekly ritual was watching the new episode of House of mm-hmm. Anubis. I, I was like, the seed of critical analysis of like hints there's there's plots here there are narrative devices that you have Mm -hmm. not seen meanwhile this is like fourth grade people are just trying to like burn off the sugar from like their breakfast cereal and i'm just like no you don't understand there's this there's historical context the subtext like like uh, things are happening so there's always that and people just did not either they didn't watch it or they didn't care enough to have a conversation or the other thing is it'd be like a very, very popular show such as like Victorious or Sweet Life on Deck or something like that. And I would like, like, I would be like, oh my gosh, you like that too? What do you think of like this very, like this plot line that is happening over the course of the yeah. season? Like I was so, yeah. uh, my biggest thing was that I was so invested in the relationship between Miss Tutwiler and Mr. Mosby, specifically on uh-huh. Zach and Cody on Deck. And like, they're uh-huh. like, full-on relationship like between two adults and like the relationship that was marketed towards the children was the one between like Cody mm-hmm. and Debbie Ryan's character I forget her name mm-hmm. but I remember the season finale or the series finale of The Sweet Life on Deck is Mr. Mosby finally proposing to Mrs. Tutwiler and like they get engaged at the end and I remember mm-hmm. like one of like the saddest things of when that show's ending for me was like I don't even I don't get to see their wedding like I remember so vividly mm-hmm. talking to my mom about this series finale and being like I wanted to see the wedding and mm-hmm. like like being upset when there's an episode that didn't like further their particular plot in the show which like <laughs> I would go to school and I want to be like oh my gosh like the fucking like banana slip was like so funny like like that's what they're watching it for they're like no right. like I literally I've never considered I don't give a shit yeah yeah like like it, it hadn't even crossed their mind or like in Victorious I'd be talking about like the implications of the like ever-changing social dynamics of the friend group and being and like like things like that and being like I feel like Andre is not being given the creative respect that he's due like every Uh week he is the back he's the musical backbone and everyone would be like oh did you see that they changed their locker or some some silly shit like that or like like some Uh like pee pee poo poo joke and I'd be like no like there's psychoanalysis (laughs) like there's commentary on our generation and our interaction with arts in the school system that you're not picking up on um Uh and so that was always my like hyper specific Uh relationship so so it's like similar and different than yours and that I was consuming very popular media but I still felt very isolated Mm -hmm. in terms of how I was consuming the media and yeah. whereas like but, you were reading uh-huh. books that just no one else was reading yeah. <laughs> so because like they were never intended for me mm-hmm. like there were a lot of stuff that was like girl an 11 year old girl also, should not be reading this uh-huh but i do have to say and then again until sherlock because sherlock was the first time right that i was consuming something and i actually had friends that were also watching mm-hmm. it and i felt like i was able right. to have a a real right, an actual meaningful of, conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. I just remember my obsession with mm-hmm. Irene Adler, and specifically that episode <laughs> of Sherlock, was yeah, yeah, so yeah. far yeah. beyond anyone wanted to have a conversation about. Right. Because we'd be talking about Sherlock, and I'd be like, 
But when when is Irene Adler coming back? Like I I need right. her back on my screen. And they'd be like, um, right. someone just got murdered. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, and where is Irene? Yeah. <laughs> no. And see, this is the other thing. Like because I had my whole like loner thing going on. Like I think mm-hmm. like I didn't have a. I wasn't Very like Sherlock a, coded. Were no, you literally. Sherlock coded. I. <laughs> My no, whole, like feeling so isolated because I felt like no one around me could really understand me in the way that I wanted them to. Like that whole, you know, that whole concept, mm-hmm. and then also feeling like super socially awkward and unable to like interact with people. No bitch goes through a Sherlock phase and comes out neurotypical. Like you have, you like <laughs> you finish Sherlock and then a pop up comes up on your screen being like, "What neurodivergency are you autism. going? Yeah, have- <laughs> like ADHD. Right. Like like it's." It comes with, and also yeah. you are going to have a crippling gay. drug addiction. You, <laughs> you like, are going to be homosexual and in a best friendship with someone who is kind of destructive towards you. Exactly, and like, also you are going to be looking that show. for right dog hair on the shins of everyone. You're going to be looking for ring tan lines for the yeah. rest of you're your gonna life. You're going to think you're so smart. For no reason. For no, like, you, for, for, you're going to be a Anyone has a single scratch around the charging port of their phone, automatic alcoholic. Um, It's just, that's the way <laughs> that your brain is going to work forever and oh ever. And you God. won't be able to escape it. Like, yeah. It, it's, it's like trying it's to deprogram that shit. No, it's, yeah. Oh, oh my God. And what I was going to say was that, like, because I, with the whole loner thing and also with the fact that, like, I kind of lived in this pop culture vacuum, um, was the fact that I felt so, like, left out out of a lot of the conversations that were happening about shows that people were watching, about movies that people had seen. I remember, like, my parents would not let me watch. Okay, my parents never let me read or watch Harry Potter. They never let me watch High School Musical. They never let me watch. Like, there were things, because we would go to the library together and we would check out stuff. Mm-hmm. My parents would, like, go through the, specifically, like, they don't really care about the books, because... Uh, that's that's a lot more work to try to go through the parental guidance of like books um but like with movies and shows they would like look at it and be and be like is this appropriate for my 11 year old child which like makes sense you know but like their standards for what was appropriate and what wasn't was like mm, you know something's not right but like, Wait, so you weren't allowed to watch uh-huh. high school musical but you were reading full erotica yeah because they didn't know they literally didn't know how would they know how would they know but what uh, like high school musical is a disney movie exactly like they didn't what, believe in what, like what was disney the they're like they're like if it's a live action disney shit you're not consuming that i don't care i would beg them for like access to like nickelodeon or whatever and they were like girl no we don't have money for that <laughs> like we're not doing that for you no um it was just never a priority like you know to get so I would watch like PBS and stuff so that was like sort of but Mm -hmm. I would eventually when I got like later in my life I remember the Disney show that I like really watched that felt kind of niche to me in terms of like when I would bring it up in school they wouldn't talk about it was Jesse on Disney Channel I loved Jesse I loved Jesse as Mm -hmm. like as a show because I just really like Debbie Ryan and I like the family dynamic. I thought it was just so humorous and I just like, this is so awesome and fun. I love this so mm-hmm. much. And that was literally the extent to which I thought about it. Um, and like, mm. I remember, oh, okay. When I was, <laughs> when I was maybe 13, 14, I had at this point, I like had full access to the internet and I was going crazy. Like I was posting on Instagram 12 times a day for like no reason. Like all my friends were like, why do you post on Instagram so much? And I'm like, because 
you need to see the picture of the shirt that I just got. Like, I don't care. You're, you're going to be subjected to this. So, like, the 97 people who, like, I went to school with every day were, like, subjected to constant po- It was bad. It was really bad. Anyway. <laughs> and this is different from your online presence now. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, so I, I, no, it's really evolved. No, growth. no it's evolved so Because, like, it's evolved so much. Because I remember in middle school and high school, like, my, okay, in eighth grade, last day of eighth grade, I started a spam account. To, like, just post my random thoughts. And at that point, mm-hmm. I started posting literally, like, 12 times a day. Every single day between 8th grade to, like, senior year. So, and that account doesn't exist anymore. Like, I deactivated it. But it had over 20,000, maybe 50,000, something like that. Upwards of that posts. And it kind of detailed every experience I ever had. Every thought I ever had. So, like, if I ever why, reacted... Why did you delete it? Because when I got doxxed, I didn't want people to, like, like find um, my shit or try to dig up things on me. So I remember yeah. it was a really intentional decision for on my part. I remember, like, kind mm-hmm. of being torn about it. And I remember actually texting Eliza about this, being like, Eliza, do you think I should, like, get rid of my spam account? Because, like, there's just so much stuff on there. And, like, I'm, I don't really, it was never, lim- it was pretty limited to, like, a s- small group of people, at least in my mind because like I knew so many kids from like summer camp and like church and like I knew and like dance and theater I knew a bunch of kids from a bunch of places outside of just school so like I kind of used it as a way to communicate with them as well to keep them updated on my life um and like my thoughts and stuff which like you know has translated really well into like how I use Twitter and Instagram today and it's still similar Mm -hmm. but like it's just like the obviously because I was a child like the degree to which I would share and then also like what I would share and then like you know stuff like that it was like it was really personal and it was a lot of stuff that was like if you knew me in my real life um and if you were close to me like you would already know about this you know but if I was just like afraid about that and so and I like I had the I had it made sense for me to like be paranoid so like I basically deactivated like a lot like all of my social media at at that point and like was just off social media at least on a public level and even like on an intimate level like like on Instagram like I think between for like at least eight months I didn't have a single I didn't I did not go on social media unless it was like my private Twitter that was that I had that I had for several years and was like had like maybe like 90 people following it and all like complete randos like people that I didn't know in real life and it was it was just me kind of getting trying like understanding politics better kind of um but anyway like I my relationship to like, the internet was, like, very tenuous um, because, like, it was, like, nothing and then everything all at once. Like, it was, like, no no screen media mm-hmm. except, like, what I could catch on TV. And, like, my parents were really strict about when, how, what we would watch on screens because, you know, at that point, mm-hmm. like, you wouldn't I, – like, I remember when I was, like, 12, we got, like, an iPad and I would, like, watch Beauty Guru videos, like, as, every day after school I would come – and, like, I didn't have a, a Google account because you had to be, like, 13 to make it – and I didn't, like, wa- I didn't know that I could, like, dodge that shit. I just, like, presumed that, okay, whatever. If you have to be 13, you have to be 13. So, like, I <laughs> I didn't have my own YouTube account. I would just, like, go on the guest account. And then every day after school when I got home, I'd take the iPad and I would look up. I would memorize, like, a list of maybe, like, 50 beauty gurus that I liked watching. And it wasn't even intentional. I just, like, remember their names after a while. And I would search each of their names up every day and, like, watch their new videos if they had one. But, like, and that was literally, like, the extent to which I interacted with the internet for, like, Hmm. at least a year up until I got, like, a phone and, like, had access to, like, social media as a concept. But even Hmm. before that, like, 
I, as, even when I got my phone, I was like, what is the point of Instagram? Like, this is stupid. Like, I, I just had, I didn't see, a, like, a real reason for that kind of stuff. Because, like, my world was so limited to, like, the fact that, like, the people that I communicated with were the people that I communicated with. Like, it was my parent and then, like, my best friend at school. And then, like, the people who I would see in my classroom. But outside of that, I did not have any perception of them. And they didn't have any perception of me. Which, like, was such a dramatic shift into, as soon as I got, like, got on social media and figured out how to really navigate it, it was, like, so different. And because, like, I had so much going on in my personal life at any given point I never even really thought about talking about the media that I consume like sometimes when I finish a book I would like take a picture of it and like give like a do like a blog post style thing on like my Instagram but it really wasn't that it like it wasn't intentional like it was just like okay and then eventually I was like wait I can use this platform to like share my art and my photography and I was like developing you know a sense of like my artistic like style and so I made an account to feature like my art specifically um and and, like, I don't know, I think, like, my introduction to, like, fandom and stuff, like, came pretty late in life because I didn't, like, see social media as a way to share that type of stuff. It kind of came coincidentally when I became, like, a young adult. That's very different than my introduction to the internet because, like, I've, I've always been on the internet, but, like, my the first website I'd go to be, like, Disney.com nick.com to yeah. play like the games that were associated with the show oh my god i played barbiegames.com all the fucking time <laughs> Bar- yes yeah barbie games polypocket.com like shit like that so i've always mm-hmm. been on the internet but like what i was allowed to access was like very limited um yeah. not limited but like things that were extensions of what was already approved aka disney mm-hmm. barbie polypocket right. etc um and then my mom had a facebook account and we have like a lot of family members that don't geographically live close to us um so then facebook was a way for me to like like she would be friends like my aunts and you know grandparents and stuff like that and then would tell me or like be like oh come over Mm -hmm. here look at this like family photo of like people that you are related to um so then i always had a concept of facebook my mom would like post things or whatever so like i would see her on it And then eventually Mm -hmm. I got my own Facebook account, but it was like, I thought I was like, wow, I'm so independent. It was heavily Mm -hmm. monitored by my mom. Like she knew my login information. Mm -hmm. She was friends with me on the account. But for context, it was a private account. And the only people that I were friends with were family members and kids in my class, like other kids in my class had Facebook accounts. And since I didn't have my own phone at that time, I really only had Facebook for Facebook Messenger at the time Mm -hmm. and that's how I would be able to talk to my friends when we were not face to face like in school Mm. that was how it was and then I didn't get an Instagram account until sixth grade and even that it was technically my mom's Instagram account like the Instagram that I Uh still have is technically my mom's Instagram account oh my gosh you Uh, just like used it as a proxy yeah because because my mom had an iPhone before I did so I only had Mm -hmm. access to the Instagram app through my mom's phone. And then I've been on Instagram like ever since then. Like my first Instagram post ever is still up on my account. And even before I had my own Instagram, I would steal my friend's phones Mm. who did have Instagram and then scroll through Instagram through their account. But at that point I had been watching YouTube for years, like early, early YouTube, like before Uh monetization, like Uh when Michelle Fawn was like Uh the only beauty guru. So I always, I always had access to the internet and then like in a sense like grew up with it so when I was introduced to fandoms or started kind of creating a kind of like anonymous account you know that like Mm -hmm. an account that 
wasn't specific to people who knew me in real life. Mm-hmm. I had already been online. But yeah. what was kind of like the positive feedback cycle for me in terms of fandom was that like around middle school time was when I started getting interested in things that weren't on networks that were very popular, such as like Downton Abbey. Like Downton Abbey was like the first non-children show that I watched. And if I didn't have a fan account, I would have no one to talk about that show with, which would have been very isolating to me. And before I made the account was really isolating to me. Like Mm -hmm. my friends were not interested. They had no Mm -hmm. interest in watching the show. They're starting to become very, very tired of me talking about it nonstop at every opportunity. And so I was like, well, I need to make friends who are into this because if Mm -hmm. not, I'm going to just fall deeper and deeper into social isolation. And Mm -hmm. so fan accounts and Twitter and talking to other people through having this shared shared interest was a way of like almost like releasing the pressure almost. Like I can exist in normal society and have regular conversations because in my pocket I have a way to express myself yeah yeah, I have like 10 to 15 people that if I'm just like oh my gosh this was so Lady Mary coded what just happened (laughs) or fucking whatever I could like still have those conversations which allowed me to like exist and maintain like a real life yeah so like yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. if I didn't have uh those outlets I I'm not exactly sure like how I would have navigated like, social life and, like, your own mental health and, yeah. 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 No, like, I think, um, for me, when I started getting access to, like, media that I could, I mean, like, visual media, not just books, because, because my parents, okay, it not only, they not only filtered the media that I was allowed to consume through a lens of, like, you know, just parental safety guidelines, it was also just, like, very Christian, like, I couldn't, if it was, like, if, and that's why, that was sort of the reasoning why I, I couldn't read, like, Harry, oh, I wasn't allowed to read Harry yeah. Potter, and I couldn't watch High School Musical and whatever. They were like, it's not mm-hmm. Christian. Like, it's not Christian. This is, like, not oh, what yeah. God wants or whatever. So it was, like, very much that. So I was like, okay, whatever. Um, I figured out pirating ha. before my parents. So I was able to watch uh-huh. things that my parents didn't know that I would have access to because they were under the guys like, mm-hmm. well, what could you possibly be watching that's not on the TV that we can literally, like hear you watching you know so mm-hmm. no. I figured out pirating which is how I watch things and then second thing is that when like Netflix created like having your own profiles on the same account mm-hmm. my parents th- th- that shit you you it wouldn't be the first thing you popped up on on like netflix.com mm-hmm. like pick a profile like that mm-hmm. it was separate right. so I had my own yeah. Netflix profile for probably it's kind of secret low-key yeah like, mm-hmm. a year, year and a half, which is how I watched Mad Men. I watched mm-hmm. the entirety of Mad Men at the time of me watching it uh-huh. before they knew. Like, right. that's also how I watched Grey's Anatomy before they uh-huh. knew that I was watching Grey's uh-huh. Anatomy. Like, yeah. there was a lot of shit that I was watching. So, it wasn't necessarily... In a contraband like, sort of way. <laughs> yeah, so it's not like they didn't care what I was watching or didn't care about the media that I consumed. Um, mm-hmm. They knew I was watching Downton Abbey, though, because they also watched that show. Um, mm-hmm. but everything like once Downton Abbey took off for me, is there's no turn. I've been watching whatever I've wanted to watch since about twelve years old. I remember because the iPad and the access to YouTube was like integral to like my online presence, like which was minimal, mm-hmm. to, like limited to just that. I think like that was when I started kind of coming to understand 
like what queerness even really was as a concept because like in in my churches and stuff all i heard was like Mm -hmm. being gay is bad but i was like what is gay like what are you talking about Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and so i remember i would sometimes i would pick up and like because you know i was a kid like i didn't i didn't know that there were i remember being eight and being like i'm always gonna be a christian and i will never read anything that is bad and against god Like, I literally, like, it was just exactly how I thought. I remember I would pick up books and they would, like, because the, they wouldn't always be, like, discreet. Like, they wouldn't be explicitly gay or trans. But the narrative would end up being gay or trans. And I would be like, this is not allowed. (laughs) That's not right. And then put it away. But then as I got older, uh, and, and a lot of the time I didn't even get it. I remember reading a book when I was, like, pretty young and... It was about, like, a trans person and, like, their experiences. And I really did not understand what the fuck was going on the whole time. Like, I no, I couldn't tell you what the hell was going on. And by the time I got to the end, I was like, oh, 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 that's weird. And then, like, moved on. Like, I never really thought about it again. And it was already kind of, like, pushing the boundaries and limits of what my parents had already set by reading just, like, just like romance between like a girl and a boy and whatever, you know, the dumb, like y- young hmm. adult, you know, targeted shit like that. And like, I read so much of that type of stuff that when I got onto like YouTube and stuff and I realized, hmm, I actually, I like, I, I, I can't, I can't really sexualize like men in my head as like a concept really, like, or in a way that's like, that's like realistic to like me, honestly. And so then I would like, I, 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 kind, I remembered kind of, watching with a sort of sense of like mild disgust and like kind of like mm, sort of like sort of curiosity but also like a lot of like apprehension I would watch like the girls like girls video by Haley Kiyoko I would remember being like reading the comments trying to see what people thought of it I remember watching people's coming out videos reading the comments seeing what people thought of it and at that point in like YouTube like that YouTube era like people the like the discourse in the comments was so dominated by like I'm a Christian and I don't think I'm a Christian and I think and I was like okay what are all of everyone's thoughts <laughs> like and I remember also like when I was 11 my parents gave me like a book that was like how to navigate your teen years as how to navigate your adolescence as like a Christian basically and I remember reading the book and one of the parts was like about like gay people or whatever and and the the person the the guy uh I think it was like an audio cd situation and he I remember listening to him say so on the topic of homosexuality um personally I know a lot of different Christians have like a lot of different thoughts about this but like I don't really think there's a problem with it. I don't really have a problem with it. And I remember being so shocked because I had never heard that take before in my whole life. I'd always heard being gay is wrong and bad. And I like never thought to really question it because I was like, okay, it's wrong and bad. And so is everything else. So is everything else that's not, you know, not directly approved by my church. So I didn't even think to question it. But I remember one of the seminal movies for me. And I would wa- I would watch it, like, on YouTube. And at that point, like, you know, piracy and copyright shit, <laughs> not really, not really a thing. Yeah. So, like, there would be full movies online. And I would, like, because now I finally had access to being able to watch movies. And, like, we didn't have any streaming services or anything. I don't even know what those were. Um, <laughs> like, I would just end up, wa- I would just look up, like, full free movie and, like, just watch whatever was presented to me. And one of the movies that I ended up watching as, like, a 13-year-old, as a 12-year-old, maybe 14, like, I was, I was, like, at that, like, really, really important sort of, like, turning point in my life. Developmentally, I watched Water Lilies, directed by Celine Siama. Not 
at all knowing what the fuck it was about. Like, I was like, oh, okay, girls in pool. Clicked on it. And I watched the whole thing, and I was like, whoa. Like, I, it kind of, I was like, this is wrong, but I like it. Like, <laughs> it was sort of, like, my understanding of it. I was like, whoa. And, <laughs> and then I was like, hmm, maybe I should think about this more deeply. What, I should probably think about why, about, like, gender and sexuality and race in a more critical way. Like, that was, re- like, it wasn't this specific piece of media, but it was, like, all the media and all the different views I was kind of getting online and just, like, from what I read and, like, from what I heard in my church and whatever. And to, and I was, and I remember, like, as a kid, my mom was sort of like, we are Republicans because we are Christians or something like that. And I was like, what's a Republican? Like, I was like, it did not, I could not conceive of this. Like, so yeah, it was really interesting. Like that movie was sort of like that. That's one of the only movies that I can like really think of like, okay, this like really affected me because like I would, I would go back to it. And what, and then at a certain point, I think it got taken down. I was like, where the hell is what the water lilies full movie on YouTube? (laughs) Like I was like desperately looking for it and I couldn't find it because it had been taken down. I was like, I was so annoyed. That was a that was a movie that I was like, I was like, gay people, they are hmm. real. And then when I watched Sherlock, I with the whole Sherlock fandom, which I got into it. I think a little bit like I got into it after all three seasons had been released. I was watching it year to as year. it was, I was rolling in the out. Yeah, you waiting, waiting. Yeah, a whole a whole calendar year, all three hundred and sixty five yeah. days. For three hours of content that my slimy, grummy, uh, adolescent, puberty-ridden hands would watch in one sitting. And then at the end, go, time to start the calendar over again. Wait. Oh, my God. No, I would go to the library and check out the season boxes. I would check out the season Mm -hmm. DVD. And then I would go back to the library, check out the next one, check out the next one. And then I would just rewatch the discs. It came out week to week. Right. Like, all, so, literally, it would premiere, and three weeks mm-hmm. later, the season would be over. So, right for me, I hate waiting. So, I'd be like, I would right. just wait those three weeks. I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's preparing. Maybe I'd watch the first episode, and then, whether or not I watched it week to week or not, when it finished, I would go back and I'd watch all three episodes together. Like, basically, as an extra long movie. Mm-hmm. My introduction to gay people, like... My introduction to gay people was through fandom in that I didn't realize that I was gay, but there were other gay people in the fandom who liked the same characters that I liked. And I thought, I just thought women were beautiful because women are beautiful. But I, I thought I, I was liking it in the way I was like, well, we all, like, there's there's a whole, like, model industry, like, uh, like through casting. Yeah. These women, Obviously women are beautiful, right? Yeah. Like, objectively, these women have to be beautiful. And that is mm-hmm. how I thought that I was viewing. Everyone perceived that, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. And so it wasn't until I saw other, at the time, everyone was going through their bi phase. The mandatory bi yeah. phase that you had to go through <laughs> yeah, if you were right. in fandom. Um, yeah. But I was hearing other, like, already out people talk about mm-hmm. how they feel and view these characters. And I'd be like, that's how I feel and view about these characters. Yeah. But I was yeah. like, I don't think I... I'm just Renaissance. I'm not gay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just me. Not gay. And then I was like... Mm. And then I remember... Because I was, like, a literal child. So, like, 
Right. You're not trying to cancel me about this. But I would, mm-hmm. like, use, like, gay reaction memes or, like, feeling uh-huh. gay in this moment. Uh-huh. Not, But not really, because that was the only way that... But in a colloquial of, like, way. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the only way that I could express that I was finding women attractive. Uh-huh. Which, in a way, was correct. I, I was being yeah. very gay in that moment. Yeah. Um, but you didn't recognize it yourself. Mm-hmm. Gay. And yeah. then there's, like, a point where I'd be like, I feel like I shouldn't be using this because I don't know if I'm gay. Right. So I feel like I shouldn't be able to call the feelings that I'm feeling gay. However, <laughs> this reaction meme is... A very accurate Perfect. depiction of how yeah. I'm feeling. Yeah. Like, I'm like, this is... So, I'm like... And you didn't connect I, the dots. You were like, hmm. Nope. It was it was yeah. a good two, two and a half years before it finally came out as a yeah. bi. Right. Um, just recognizing that, like, the way that I feel about women and, like, mm-hmm. girls and stuff that I see mm-hmm. in these movies is, like, very different. But to tie that back to Sherlock, it really influenced the way that... I Irene! With, yes, Exactly. And that's her but, MILF. Yeah. Yes, yes. That mm-hmm. but every obviously the most obvious ship in the show was John Locke. No one would fucking ever shut up right. about John Locke. Which like is <laughs> true. I remember I guess, watching back. the John Locke conspiracy videos. I remember uh-huh. watching the John Locke conspiracy videos as they were rolling out but before season four came out. And I remember being like, They're they're kinda making points. Like and I remember it, like John well, Locke being like the thing that I was like, wait, gay people don't suck like what do you mean like this is so obviously gay like like there's no way you know this is just like a natural experience of human beings and like this is stupid that people are pathologizing it and i was kind of coming to coming on to my own thoughts about gender and sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. outside of the confines of my of my parents beliefs and my church's beliefs and i was always like why are women treated in this specific way in the bible why why are women treated in this way what in 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 our church why is it i was really starting to question things that and and I remember being in eighth grade. This one kid who still follows me on Instagram, by the way. Hi, Will. About um, Sherlock, though. I still have another point about. Oh yeah, Sherlock, Sherlock that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and how my pre knowing that I'm gay self interacted with Sherlock is that everyone is shipping John Locke, um, but I wanted Sherlock and Irene together very very badly. Yeah, because you because thought of yourself as Sherlock. Exactly. Right. I I was watching the show and viewing myself through the lens of Sherlock. And so uh-huh. my conclusion was that I want to see more of Irene. <laughs> I want more Irene on the screen. I want to, yeah. through this character, spend time with mm-hmm. this other character. Yeah. So I'm just like, why are you all shipping John Locke? John, John is always going to be there. He's the other character. Right. The person right. that... That, that should be introduced into this new relationship should clearly be Irene. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily that I liked heterosexual relationships, but I liked heterosexual it relationships. It was her. And that she. Exactly. They all provided a way for me to have a relationship or see the romantic side of a female character, which is what I was most more interested in. M- male characters and men were always used as tools or seen as tools for me. Yeah, to, self-inserts. Like how yeah, Taylor Swift interact. is in the male perspective. <laughs> yeah, li- yeah, literally. So, like, for me, I was the Sherlock, and I wanted to be in a relationship with Irene. And so you because, wanted that ship to sail. Yes, and because me, a young lesbian, had no, like, genuine mm-hmm. conception of... Mm-hmm. having romantic attractions for men like i honestly mm-hmm. thought that was just another fictional narrative plot like i didn't think that that was like <laughs> like 
I, I, yeah, I, this is, there was, no, that's the thing, like, yeah, yeah, so then for me, I'm just like, I, I, had I do not want to be with John, I'm like, John is fine, John is, yeah. John is always there, right, what, he's I, a guy, no, he's just a fucking dude, yeah, there's, there's no motivation for me to ship yeah. Sherlock and John, because I, as yeah. Sherlock, did not want to be with John, right, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. the young lesbian, wanted to be right. with Irene Adler, yeah, 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 yeah. so yeah. that, but that was always a very, Hot take. And if you were like, oh, I don't ship John Locke, it, you were automatically painted as homophobic. And so I'd be like, guys, guys, I'm not homophobic. Right. I'm not homophobic. I just don't I just ship love John Locke. Irene. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, Fighting for, sure. for my life. Fighting for my Fighting life. Fighting for your school. fucking life. Yeah. So you have not know. This is what I was going to say. Uh, about like the not knowing you were gay um it was interesting because mm-hmm. i remember this kid that i just name dropped will in my algebra 2 class in eighth grade we were sitting there and i don't know how this came up but i remember him being like you're probably bisexual like just <laughs> i don't know how he got to this conclusion but he he just like told me that mm-hmm. and i was like huh interesting that you think that let me ruminate on this for a while. And that was literally, mm-hmm. I was like, because at that point I was really thinking about whether I was bisexual or not because I I had these really obsessive fixations on like boys throughout my life. But it, they were always like, it was always because I could not, I could not like be with them or because I knew like, and what, I remember in preschool, like I had, I had this like, I, I had many boyfriends, okay? I was, I, I, I <laughs> I had, I had like, wow. I had like, in first grade, I had like a, my Spider-Man boyfriend, but I remember one day he like came in and he had like a haircut and I was like, I don't like you. <laughs> like, I, I don't like you anymore. Literally. And I couldn't, and the thing is, is that I really couldn't convey to him that I didn't like him anymore in a way that wasn't mean. So I just d- ignored him, which was probably meaner. So, <laughs> or like, I remember once I found out that like my crush likes me back, like the, the kid in my Sunday school, whatever. I would be like, oh, this is so fun. Oh, my God. And then I would be like, mm, I don't like that. Let me fix it on his brother. Like, I, it literally did, like, and I remember in third grade, I had this, like, obsessive crush on this one kid in my class who, like, was, like, unconventionally attractive or whatever, in my mind. And I was like, but, like, he was just, like, not in my, he was, like, like a kid who, like, did athletics and whatever and, like, was, like, super, you know, like, in, in like, inner circle of the, the elementary school hierarchy that I just didn't have access to as a weird kid. Um, so I was, like, Ugh. so it was always, like, people that I was, like, I know I can't have access to you. And also because all of my friends at the time were also, like, you know, we were, they were all, like, so obsessed on, like, uh, about, like, who had crushes on whom. And I, and I had a lot of, like, friends who, were gay but like didn't know it you know and I Hmm. and I think like I had so many friends who I met through at camp or at school and after school programs who I felt really comfortable with and we had a lot of shared interests in like theater and music and whatever but like it we and looking back now it's because we were all so like queer and I remember this one person who like is a lesbian and has been out since at that point I remember we were talking about like who which which one of the love interests in in i think matched was it the the dystopian young adult series matched with the girl in the green and the glass ball with the you know what I'm, the young adult this dystopian mm-hmm, book mm-hmm. or it was either that mm-hmm. or the hunger games we were talking about that with this with this one the really tall blonde lesbian <laughs> who i was friends with in elementary and middle school um she was like she wasn't out she didn't know what the fuck being gay was neither did I you know so but I remember we were talking about which one of the characters we would like to 
we liked more like of the male love interests and she was like mm, this one because he's hotter and i was like okay like and i remember like and then later when when we you know became teenagers and started conceptualizing ourselves as like 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 sexual beings and like people with like romantic like actual romantic interest and attraction to people i never thought of like I didn't even think of like girls as like an option. I just always had weirdly intimate friendships with girls throughout my life that like were more mm-hmm. significant than any relationship I could ever have with like a boy. And they were always like really weirdly like homoerotic, weirdly sort of hmm. hostile. Very divine <laughs> like, coded. No, really. It was We're really giving, like that. Giving the divine giving the divines like it was very much like that um and a lot of them would like end abruptly out of you know random situations or like they would be limited in time and i always had way more intense Mm. feelings about those friendships than i ever did about boys were like a toy they're like a game i was like okay i'm this is the guy i have a crush on and we're all gonna gossip and giggle about him and we're gonna like play truth or dare in my friend's basement and we're gonna but like and i interact with the boys a lot and like it shapes so much of how i perceive myself because like again with the whole like the way that patriarchal like sort of values were really put into my head as a kid like through the church specifically and like the fact that I was always at church and I was one of the only girls in my grade there like I I never thought of myself as like a tomboy because I was never really like athletic per se but when I was with those all those boys at church who you know between the ages of like eight to like 12 like that's you know I spent so much time with them and we hung up with with each other all the time like we would be I I was like one of the boys basically because we would just like Mm. I we would just like hang out and like play games and like you know mess around in the church basement and like do like play tag and like I remember every year one of the boys in said group would be like my new fixation crush person I was hostile to in like a crush way but like, and it was like That's a rotational so thing. Because to me, <laughs> the guys in my life, I always found them so annoying, so annoying. <laughs> like I had, I well, also like I had such... young, I had younger brothers too. So. It was only like my mom has sisters. The cousins mm-hmm. that I spent the most time around were girls. Um, mm-hmm. I had like from ages like birth to fourteen, <laughs> I had mm-hmm. like ten grandmothers and. <laughs> three grandpas yeah so and i still have only had three grandpas i i never talked to like th- there's no conversation that i that i've had with them they're like oh looking back we both should know that we're gay they were very much like female childhood friendships like mm-hmm. like deep emotional intimacy in the way that girls and women are allowed to have emotionally intimate mm-hmm. relationships with their friends um mm-hmm. but but there there wasn't any like romantic underlying in any of them yeah but now that like I'm out and my friends are older and now we're having like our relationships are forming into like adult friendships like yeah I have two friends that like I've said I was just like if I ever needed to like legally marry someone or like we needed to have a mortgage or like Mm -hmm. one of us was in the hospital and we needed the other person to be able to like sign legal or medical documents like there were friends that I would, like, marry, that I would, like, mm-hmm. tie my life to or, like, my adult mm-hmm. responsibilities to that I have no, like, romantic feelings for. Like, I don't want to kiss mm-hmm. them. I don't want to go on, yeah, like, traditional dates. But I have, like... I would love to spend my whole res- life with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have deep respect and love and adoration for them. 
but that's very different than how I experience attraction or the love that I have as like a mm-hmm. lesbian versus like mm-hmm. the love that I have is like the friendships that I have with other women. Um, yeah, yeah. And I honestly so that, that's feel like, like very, and and just men have just never been that. Men have in my life have always been the boyfriends of my friends, or the crushes uh, of my friends, yeah. or like my classmates because there are classmates that were guys that I had from like sixth grade until literally graduating yeah. senior year so I always saw them and they were always there and I never right. felt any motivation to get to know yeah. them better or form a friendship whereas like yeah. the girls in my class I was like in this class we are sisters like my bond with other mm-hmm. women and other girls my class have always been like a sisterly relationship mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that yeah. kind of like the, the right. intensity that comes with those kind of bonds versus uh-huh. the bonds of like a romantic partner if mm-hmm. that makes sense like in the way that yeah. like my in my eyes and in the eyes of my mom she is forever tied to her sisters <laughs> like mm-hmm. like they yeah like relationship wise are spending the rest of their lives together right. that is how right. i see the yeah. friends that i want to spend the rest yeah. of my life with yeah. in the way that we are sisters we are never going yeah. you cannot unbe a sister to someone yeah. and like we yeah. are never going to yeah. be separated yeah so yeah. 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 No, that makes a lot of sense. And honestly, because like in my family, I really, I spent the most time with my brother. Like we hung out all the time as kids. That's all I did was watch him and hang out with him and play in the pool with him and play with his friends. I always, ha- there were always boys around me. And so like, I was always like, but also because of all the media that I was consuming, so much of it was about like girls who like boys and the drama that happened with the boys and whatever. It was a lot of like projection onto onto like my life where I would be like, okay, what would be the most cinematic like literary thing for my life to be? For me to like this boy. And that will be fun and dramatic. And this will be my thing. <laughs> like I did it for the drama. I thought it was fun. I only cared about boys having like relationships or crushes on boys uh-huh. in the shows that I watched so for me like I said earlier there were always uh-huh. tools for narrative there were always tools for looking at the relationships they were self of inserts yeah and and in the way that like no not that the lesbian master doc is canceled or whatever but mm-hmm. men are only seen as like a conduit to having relationships with other women like mm-hmm. that is how it was but because my life was not the sweet life of Zach and Cody. It was not victorious. Mm-hmm. It was not House mm-hmm. of Anubis. The mm-hmm. boys in my real life served no purpose to me. <laughs> I was like, yeah. like there's there's yeah. no plot that you are furthering. Like yeah. you are simply a there's background no character. Plot. Yeah, yeah. So th- so yeah. then so then they had no purpose. So for me, because yeah. men did not serve as a conduit for having relationships with other people, because I myself could just befriend yeah. the girls that I wanted to befriend. Mm-hmm. They served no purpose for me. I did not see them. They were simply objects that would have to move out of my way. Yeah. No, honestly, for me, it was kind of the inverse of that because I had such, like, a not-like-other-girls thing. Like, oh, I hang out with the boys. Like, whatever. Just because of the nature of, like, my environment. I was was always like, ugh, girls are so stupid because they like these things. But then later I would end up liking them anyway, so, like, whatever. But, like, or I would be like, girls are so catty and mean. But that was because my girl best friends were mean to me because we were both like that was our relationship that we were mean mm-hmm. to each other and like it was a mutually destructive but in 
intensely close relationship. So like from like fourth grade to eighth grade, I had sort of a loose friend group that really solidified into like a really solid friend group that kind of shifted throughout from like third to like eighth grade. Because at, at my school, because my schools were kind of small, like my class, my classes were kind of like, like maybe like 20 people each um, throughout elementary school and middle school. Like it, it was pretty small. And because I was like in the gifted program and like in the honors programs and shit, like I was in the classes with the same people year after year mm-hmm. after year. And it was no, like a that's hand- what I mean, like right. with my relationship. But like the fact that like, you ended up, right. The fact that you ended up having like sisterly relationships with them, that was definitely yeah. not the dynamic that I had. Because it was always like a toss up of like <laughs> girls and boys. And like we all had, it was mm-hmm. almost as if we were kind of like characters on a sitcom. We all had a, a specific sort of relate type of relationship we had with each other. We didn't talk about anything beyond the things that we would talk about within with each other. Each person kind of fit their trope. Like I was sort of kind of like, the eclectic one who like said a lot of things that it shouldn't have and then there was my friend who was like the one who like was really bubbly and laughed a lot and then there was my friend who was a guy who was like pretty reserved and then there was the guy who was like the cool one and there was like we we all had like our own little niche that we carried with us for like for years and that was our identity and like even if we didn't hang out outside of school which like sometimes we did like we were just around each other all the fucking time that we created these dynamics that were integral to my social life and then I would kind of like pick out a boy within this the networks that I had to be like we are gonna create the drama of the year we're gonna (laughs) we this is the shit that me and my friends are gonna gossip about and that we're gonna speculate on for funsies and then my friends would get into like weird little relationships with like boys or whatever and I just thought was like okay this is normal whatever and then later when I was like maybe I'm bi maybe I am bi I didn't think about the media the people immediate to me uh, really either but I was just kind of like hmm I definitely like boys. I definitely like boys. But I think the other option seems kind of fun, too. Like, I love the drama of it all. I think this is so fun and interesting. Like, I really was there for the drama. And that was fucking it. <laughs> like, I, I, that's what I cared about, really. Um, but, yeah. Ugh. This has been going on for so long. We should get to the third part. I know. We should, we should wrap up. Oh. I feel like... Yeah. Um, but editing this... I mean, I feel like we're going to have an extra long episode. I feel like our uh-huh. listeners are not going to be that upset about it being an extra long episode. Yeah, and plus it's a finale, and we're to... talking about the integral things, yeah. right? So, Because I, I feel like the the Sunny and Renaissance canon to before mm-hmm. our friendship, mm-hmm. it's like we intersect at mm-hmm. such, like, interesting points. Right. And, like, we come to certain, like, medias or certain, like, relationships mm-hmm. to things, like, like yeah. it boils down to the same thing but like the way that we get there is so different so different because like you didn't have um, like I never saw like adult relationships modeled in my life that were really intimate none of my parents had like mm-hmm. really close friends or family like none of their siblings were ever here you know in in the U.S. with them like I never saw their dynamics play out um it was always like a phone call once a year or something you know so I never saw that sort of close familial relationship in that in that way I didn't I couldn't see myself as like the sisters of people especially to other girls because I, I didn't have any way to really like relate to them I felt like also context is that me and renaissance met when we were like like late teenagers like we were we were like towards we were like in our adolescence on the later end when we like met we didn't really become friends until when until we were like adults but like as like adolescents like that's that's where we met so like we didn't know of each other's existence. We lived in completely separate... We lived on, like, opposite coasts and, like, did not know of each other's existence up until we were, like, 16, 17 or whatever, you know? So mm-hmm. that's the context. 
Because also I find... And now we're both fandom-obsessed, non-binary lesbian communists, so explain that. Explain that. I want... when, When I'm scrolling and I come across a fan cam of myself... That is when I know that I will make it. Like when, when, when there's when someone is like, oh my gosh, hit fan cam moment. When someone has the privilege of having their hit fan cam moment, as I have had, but like I am uh-huh. the I'm the uh-huh. subject of that fan cam. You're the center of it. Yeah. That would be such a full circle moment for me. Like, <laughs> as the editor uh, of and, fan cams, and then being yeah, the, yeah. the subject of one. Yeah. And it, it's not even that I'm like, this isn't like, a, a, I'm trying to like put this in the minds of like, like I want it to happen organically, but I just think that mm-hmm. if this, like, I want to keep continuing the podcast, obviously, but like, if we keep mm-hmm. growing, you know, to the rate that we are growing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like, I just, as an editor, as someone who's been in fandom, I know that it's inevitable. Like, I know that certain mm-hmm. fandom creations are inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'm just so curious as to what that looks like from the subject point of view mm-hmm. because I have mm-hmm. been the editor for so long mm-hmm. what is it like to be mm-hmm. the edited the editee mm-hmm. the editee um, <laughs> yeah. and, oh my God. and and what's what's that looks like which I guess is us finally getting into the mind of Taylor Swift um because no, this literally. is probably what she thinks of sometimes on a, yeah. probably a much grander scale since she's like one of the most famous people in the world but right. um yeah let this uh be our segue into finally recommending after two and a half hours of talking um yeah yeah our segue into our recommended media we'll try and keep this short i yeah. think to keep in tow with the nostalgicness um mm-hmm. we should recommend each other something that uh, of our nostalgic past and so not something that we've recently consumed but what's what's something mm-hmm. that you think was your one of your formative still piece of media up. that yeah hmm. um i think a piece of media when i was like 13 or 14 or maybe 14 15 i i read i read aristotle and dante discovered the secrets of the universe by benjamin alire sans s-a-e-n-z sans yeah benjamin alire sans um and so mm-hmm. That book is set in the 80s and it's about an intimate friendship between two boys who are very different from each other. And they're both Mexican-American. They live in El Paso and it sort of chronicles their experiences from like they, when they meet each other at the pool when they're like 11 till when they're like teenagers. Um, and it was such like an intimate portrait of their life that was so compelling to me. It was probably the first time that I was like, let me go on Tumblr and look up fan art for a book. Because <laughs> I was like, this is so... And to this day, I still love it. It's still one of my favorite books of all time. And I, and I, you know, go back to it to like, like, and that was definitely a formative sort of queer media experience for me. One of, one of my first that I was like, this is so fucking beautiful. Like, this is incredible. And I, I cried and I, I remember like making my friends read it or like asking my friends who would read it and like we would talk about it and like it it shook my world like as a 14 year old that shit changed my life like it really did um the way that like queerness was not an aberration but rather just like an integral part of these kids identities even though they'd never like even really thought about it it just really resonated with me the main character from whom's perspective we are in Aristotle he and also I really related to it because 
I moved around a lot as a kid into my adolescence. So I, f- I had a lot of friendships that were like cut short um, and just by the nature of like me not being in the same city anymore. So, and then later when I got like social media and like a phone and internet, like I could c- reconnect with them. And to this day, like I'm still, I'm still like Instagram mutuals with like my third grade bestie that I never thought I would ever speak to again when she moved to Texas. You know what I mean? Like it was, um, and she, I'm pretty sure she is gay now too. So like, <laughs> Yeah, it was a really seminal, tender experience. Because, okay, yeah, in the book, like, Arthur and Dante become best friends. They go through some some shit together. They're really different people. And then Dante moves to, like, moves across the state. Or moves across the country, basically. And they end up maintaining their friendship through just, like, letters. Because it's the 80s. And um, I remember being like, wow, this is so... This is so relatable because, like... The relationships that I have with the people who were really close with me as a kid, they still, as I got older, I still thought about them. I still, like, they, I still felt emotionally close to them, even though we hadn't lived life together in a, in a long time. I still thought about them a lot. So when I read this book, I was like, this is so true. Like, and also something about the book that I was, like, so enamored by was the fact that the families of these kids were so, they weren't necessarily, like, healthy (laughs) necessarily but they were very they were so tender in a way that like I really didn't see in my own life because it was like really it felt like the sort of relationship I had with my family was so like rigid and like maintained by the rules of like Christianity basically and the kids in this book like they're like Catholic but it's like a casual thing you know that's not really like so super like and like the relationship that our characters have with their parents is really complicated and messy and dynamic but it's still ultimately like tender and like rooted in this like deep love and also like in their friendship the parents both of the parents of the boys end up becoming friends with each other and they like you know drink beer together and like they they hang out they chat and like I'd never seen none of my parents never were friends with my friends parents at any point in my life like they to this day like they just never communicated with my friends parents so seeing that in like media I was like whoa like it was it was both a reflection of my own experience like the book was both a reflection of my own experiences and also sort of like a projection of the things that I really wanted the things that I wish I had in my life the sort of intimacies that I that I felt like I was missing the freedom that I wish I had as like a child so it was it was like that book like honestly it kind of reminds me of sort of like a young adult normal people by Sally Rooney where you're seeing this really intimate relationship between two people who are very close with each other and coming of age and coming to understand their identities and themselves and the ways that their relationship to each other is integral to that and then the fact that this friendship is something that culminates into something so much more is like I don't know like I think it really planted the seeds of me really loving coming of age stories stories that are intimate portraits of intimate friendships intimate relationships where queer people are able to just exist and be and have struggles and I think something that honestly like reminds me of what I love about like Sally Rooney books in this you know kids novel this young adult novel that I read so long ago Um, that are so widely acclaimed and loved by everyone is the fact that like we are so we're so it's so insular it's so focused on Ari and Dante's relationship Aristotle and Dante's relationship and everything else even if it's integral to who they are and the rest of the story everything else still feels like 
it feels separate in some way. And there are so many scenes that I uh, just stick with me and still I can still vividly imagine them in my head now of um, driving out into the desert in Ari's Jeep and staring at the stars. And I don't know, it was just so, it's such a beautiful story. A love story and a story of friendship and ultimately all friendships I think are love stories um and that was something that resonated with my young self and still does to this day and this is the kind of book that when I see criticisms of it online I roll my eyes and look away because I don't care I don't care and also it's won so many prizes like I, it's won it's won like at least like 15 <laughs> different prizes because it's like a universally recognized like modern classic type of like queer lit book um but yeah no like this is that's the kind of book that like any gay person, any young queer adult, like, should read. It's it's just so, it's so important, you know? Um, yeah. To me and culturally, but, yeah, that's my recommendation. Aristotle and Dante Discovered the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Aliri Sons. My recommendation this week, it's not a niche pick at all, um, but it's the movie Chicago, the movie musical Chicago mm-hmm. from, I think it came out in 2002 and won the Oscar for... Best Picture, I believe, in 2003. It is a movie musical based off of the Broadway musical by the same name, which was one of Bob Fosse's most iconic, um, like, shows that he ever directed and choreographed with Gwen Verdon as well. And, but even that is based off of the play, which was from the 30s, which was based off of the real journalism that was happening at the time in the city of Chicago. Uh So, like, the movie is, like, several degrees removed from the the first iteration of the story. But Uh anyways, if you haven't heard the story of Chicago or don't know what it's about, it's about the city of Chicago in um, the 1920s, and it's about these infamous cases of women who murder their husbands or various men in their life. And it takes place in this prison, and there are also scenes like the courtrooms, and it's this like all women's prison. Queen Latifah is in it, who is a famous black lesbian who plays the warden. Uh, Richard Greer is in it, who was in two not necessarily movie musicals, but he was in another movie that I watched all the time. And anyways, this movie is very foundational to me as a person because before I got cable, this movie was in the rotation of like five <laughs> movies that I would watch yeah. every single day. I yeah. like I had this movie memorized. I knew the order of the numbers. I <laughs> loved, loved, loved this movie. Mm-hmm. And when it set the seeds in terms of I still love plots of women who kill men and women yeah. who hate their yeah. husbands, which like shows in like my love for I care a lot. Like I do not yeah. care about the criticisms of I care a lot. I love ha! it. It's a movie musical. Movie musicals uh-huh. are still one of my favorite pieces of media to this day. Right. It's musical theater. It's Fosse, yeah. who I still love. Fosse Verdon, one of my favorite miniseries uh-huh. that I literally binge watch constantly. Um, so there are, like, several seeds in this. Renee Zellweger is in it. Uh, she ends up playing Judy Garland in the biopic Judy. I love that movie. I think she's amazing in it. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones is in this movie. I love hot women who sing and dance. I love Val McKellar. It takes place in the 1920s. It's a period piece. 
I still right. love that. It uh, has, like, majority woman ensemble. Lucy Liu is in this movie. Like, they're just, it set, it, it plants the seeds for many of the interests at, like, three years old that I would go on. It made me, it, it set the prophecy of me becoming a MILF enjoyer and MILF appreciator later in life. <laughs> So I love it. There's a lot of criticisms in terms of like, it's not like really fussy. And I definitely agree that if you look at the, some of the choreography and also like the way that the characters are vocalized in the movie musical versus the, like, I think it was 73 or 76 when Fosse did it, but then also there was a revival. Um, there's definitely some differences. However, I do not give a shit. I still think right. that the creative choices within Chicago, the movie, are valid. I think if you watch the movie expecting to see a film version of Fosse's work, you are going to be disappointed. However, the changes that were made are, is, is still tell the story. It's like, it, yeah. I feel like it would have been boring to just see the Broadway play mm. on screen. Especially since it's like one of the longest running musicals in Broadway history. Everyone mm. has seen the play. If you wanted to see the play, go see yeah. it. It will still be there. The movie, however, right. is different. At the age of three, I did not know the nuances and the politics of the world of Broadway. So, anyways. Really? But I thought you were born with that. I mean, I was a little bit. But, anyways, that is my recommendation. Um, if you've watched it, you watched it, sure, cool. However, it will always have a very particular place in my heart. Because I literally watched it at like three years old and I still watch right. it. Right. Versus someone right. who watched it like when they could understand the plot yeah. and like have their own ideas of like what is feminism? What what are women? <laughs> what is a marriage? Yeah. Um, yeah. What is murder? Where I'm like, right. she was washing the blood off of his hands. Like, what the, yeah. this is gorgeous. This is cinema. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, me and my little like toddler like pull up diapers being like, <laughs> I think she should get off of this murder case. Oh um, my God. So, yeah, that is my recommendation. I feel like if I tell someone that Chicago was, like, my favorite movie between the ages of, like, three and five, yeah. and they look at what I like now, they're like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, makes sense. That makes tracks. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> that's all we have. We've yeah, been our, holding our, our listeners. We've been holding you hostage for several yeah. hours now, so... Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Follow us on Twitter at the Lavender Pod. Email us with your hot takes or your wonderful submissions, your wonderful messages. We love them uh, to the Lavender Menace Podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at a sunny book nook. You can follow me on Instagram at sunny with the camera. Uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Sunny Book Nook. Me and Renaissance did a video like a couple like, that was put up a couple weeks ago. Go watch that. Yeah. So yeah. And subscribe to the now the podcast YouTube channel, the yes. Lavender Menace YouTube channel. My Twitter is still uh, at Renaissance. The first E is an X. Please follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is very good at Renaissance Marie. And I'm currently I'm putting this on the podcast to hold myself accountable. I'm currently filming videos to be uploaded mm -hmm. to my YouTube channel, so that should be revived soon yeah and that is just renaissance marie um mm -hmm. on everything cool. yeah oh also subscribe to our patreon subscribe yes to our please patreon. subscribe to our patreon patreon.com slash lavender menace yeah we've gotten some a couple more patrons recently so thank you so much to you if you're listening greatly appreciate you see you all in season three 
see you in season three. Hope you enjoyed season two and the season finale. Okay, bye. Bye.